Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. You're about to embark on yet another great adventure with the Gary and Shannon Show. A reminder, we want you to make sure that you look at the iHeart app and hit the follow button on the Gary and Shannon Show podcast so that you can get updates on what's going on with our podcast. Don't forget to share it as well. Get it? It's adventure music. Also, share it on Facebook, Twitter, wherever you have that opportunity, and tell a friend about what you're listening to when you listen to the Gary and Shannon Show. What the hell is that? There's no one else here that infernal ringing. Who are you? Gary Hoffman. I was raised to do one thing. Shannon Farron. Nothing will stand in our way. The Force. It's calling to you. Gary and Shannon. Just let it in. Gary and Shannon. Well, this is a uh, fantastically full Thursday. Give you an idea of what it is that's going to happen over the next four hours. Um, sit down, buckle up. Going to get a little crazy. Uh, bottom of this hour, we're going to get on this National Guard issue. So the president has uh, signed this proclamation that does send the National Guard to the Mexican border immediately. Uh, Roadblock slash speed bump up in Sacramento is what, if anything... Governor Brown is going to say about this because he's going to have to sign off on this. So we'll talk about that uh, at the bottom of this hour. Next hour, Justin Warsham is going to join us, host of the Dad Podcast. We're talking about different parenting styles. Are you a, you know, like a iron fist or are you one of those, eh, just do whatever you want, put your hand on the stove and you'll learn, that kind of person? Also, that story out of San Diego, the Rebecca Zahau case, the coroner called it a suicide Although yesterday a civil jury required that the guy who was in the house at the time, he's going to have to pay $5 million, even though the coroner said it was a suicide. We'll talk all about that. Swamp Watch is coming up. A whole bunch of information is coming out about uh, whether or not John Kelly has any influence in the White House anymore. Mark Saltzman in the 1 o'clock hour, all the technology stuff we're going to talk about. Strange Science, a great story out of Strange Science. When we talk about Narcan, We actually talked about this when we uh, did the interview with the director of Behind the Orange Curtain, the story about the opioid crisis in Orange County. And he suggested that we all get Narcan, the antidote, basically, to an opioid overdose. And now the Surgeon General is out with the, the same recommendation that more people, more places have Narcan ready to go because of the current situation we find ourselves in. Also, we're giving away $1,000 an hour. We're giving away boat tickets today. And we'll tell you who won the Louis Anderson signed auto, uh, signed books from yesterday as well. All right. Let's start, though, up in San Bruno. The latest on the shooting at the YouTube headquarters in San Bruno shines a spotlight onto what is going on between YouTube slash Google, slash Alphabet, and the people who create the content that makes YouTube what it is. There are, I saw the statistic again, there are 300 hours of video uploaded to YouTube every minute. There's no way that anybody can watch all of that stuff. And because of that, there is a vast, wide swath of it that is unwatchable. And I don't just mean, like, you'll never get to it. I mean, you can't sit through it. It's so bad. 
And it appears that the woman who ended up taking her 9mm to the YouTube campus was producing some of that stuff that was really bad. Just odd content, made no sense. In her mind, it was poetic. If to the general public, it appeared to be the ramblings of someone who was uh, descending into darkness, if you want to call it that. But it, it shines a light. Remember, she complained in recent videos and to her family that YouTube was demonetizing her stuff. That YouTube was shifting hers, uh, her videos off into the dark nether worlds of the Internet so that the advertisers didn't get to put advertisements in front of her videos. And that, of course, affects her bottom line, also affects theirs, but prevents her from getting the monetization that she was getting previously. So this is because YouTube has done things differently recently. One of the criticisms of YouTube, I just saw a headline, by the way, that Twitter, Twitter says it has stamped out over 1.2 million terrorism-related accounts that have been suspended since August of 2015. There was a, a great call among social media activists to stamp out ridiculously hateful, sexist um, images and postings and videos, whatever it was. If it had an ist or an ism behind it, they wanted it off of their sites. And terrorism-related accounts were particularly endemic on Twitter. Twitter says that they suspended more than a million accounts in the last two years uh, for their terrorist content. That means that some people got swept up in that that were not terrorism-related. But because you can't take a fine-tooth comb to a social media site that has millions and millions and millions of users, you're going to be able – you're going to sweep up some people, some accounts, if you want to call it that, in the, in the great sweep that you do. You just cannot be that careful. Well, YouTube went through a similar situation – where a couple of years ago, they wanted to clean up their site. They, Twitter, Facebook, everybody was being criticized for allowing certain types of messages to come across their Internet sites. They changed their rules for creators this year, trying to make money through ads. And this is what this woman was complaining about for the most part. They were going – this is a result of the controversial titles. There were uh, – the clients themselves, the advertisers themselves were complaining because if you had something like, uh, I don't know, totally grabbing out of the air here. I don't know if this ever happened, but let's say 23andMe, right? Spit into a little cup. They tell you where it came from. If 23andMe advertises – or an advertisement for 23andMe shows up, before a 9-11 conspiracy theory video, they don't want that connection. They don't want to be, they don't want to be associated with that. Or maybe it's a 23andMe advertisement that shows up before a 20-minute video of a guy showing his Nazi memorabilia collection. 23andMe wants nothing to do with that. And advertisers were complaining to YouTube that the advertisements were showing up on these controversial videos because YouTube was just throwing them on there. They weren't being careful about where the videos, uh, where the advertisements were showing and what videos that they were attached to. So there's an association there that some of the advertisers were complaining about. 
So that's pro- that has prompted YouTube to sort of crack down, try to be better about using al- algorithms to figure out which advertisements should show up in front of which videos. They changed their rules for the creators who try to make money through the ads. It used to be that you had to have at least 10,000 video views before YouTube would start placing commercials in front of your in front of your video and then give you a slice of it, which, I mean, in all honesty, was pennies on the dollar, what you would earn. Now, they've changed the rules. You have to have 4,000 hours of video watch time. Now, that's different than 10,000 video views. You got a five-minute video, you're going to have to crank out several thousand views at five minutes apiece to come up with that 4,000 hours of video watch time over 12 months. And you also had to have 1,000 subscribers. That's why when you watch the video, whatever it is you like, you like Good Mythical Morning, you like any of those guys, they'll tell you repeatedly, uh, don't forget to subscribe, click the button to subscribe, so that we, this is the bottom line, so that we can show YouTube that we have enough subscribers. Now, those guys, Rhett and Link, they have tens of thousands if not a couple hundred thousand subscribers so they're well ahead of the game here but if the bar for earning money was 10,000 video views that in all honesty is not that difficult to get but if you change it to 4,000 hours of video watch time you're changing the metric completely and you're cutting out a lot of people who were previously making money who are not anymore this woman may have been one of those people Part of the tension in all of this is that YouTube and by association Google and the parent company Alphabet, YouTube has been trying to be all things to all people. And what you're seeing is those content creators are fighting back. And I don't mean to say that this is an excuse for what this woman did. And it's obviously the out complete outlier when it comes to a response to having changed the views, uh, changed the rules when it comes to views for YouTube. Complete outlier and ridiculous. Not to mention it's illegal. Can't kill other people or shoot at them. But at least this is an explanation for what it is was going on in this woman's head. This may have been given, this may give us a picture of what it was that triggered her to go into the headquarters in San Bruno and start shooting the place up. She thought they were taking away her livelihood. And as we heard Dr. Wendy say yesterday, she thought that they were taking away her identity as a result of this. And if you've seen this, if you've seen, you know, granted, it's weird that it was a 38, 39-year-old woman who felt like the only way that she was going to be famous was through these YouTube channels and was looking at the clicks that she was getting, the likes, the subscribers, and that was giving her validation. That's not real life. That's not a thing. But she was sucked into it. She believed it. And when YouTube changes its algorithm and does push her videos off to the side, or at least, at the very least, pulls some of the advertisements because some of the things that she did were weird. And that's being nice to say that they were weird. She feels like YouTube has it out for her. The 
the YouTube issue is that they're trying to be all things to all people. They're trying to evolve into something different. They're trying to, pr- to protect their own revenue stream, which is advertisers from outside companies that then attach those five or 10 or 15 second ads to the beginning of the YouTube videos and get the clicks, get the views. YouTube gets the money. They generally keep 45% of the ad revenue, according to analysts, although I've heard it's even much greater than that, the percentage of it. You have videos where any sort of hate speech, any sort of violence is going to be looked upon poorly by these advertisers. And you're alienating the content creators while sucking up to the advertisers in this case. Uh, A little bit more on this in just a second. We do have an opportunity for you to win $1,000, speaking of money. Brought to you by Cunning Dental, coming up in a few minutes. You missing some teeth? Call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. We'll tell you how to win in about uh, four or five minutes. YouTube has also been cracking down. Now, this woman was putting up things that were uh, that were weird, to say the least. And she was an animal activist. She talked about going vegan. Uh, she danced with weird stuff. She stripped at one point and showed fake plastic boobs. Uh, she also did workout videos that were the weirdest and least impactful workout videos I think I've ever seen on YouTube. But fine. I mean, she's got her thing. She was making some amount of money at it, but not a lot. Pardon me, a little cup of coffee here. Usually I take a drink of coffee when Shannon's talking, but I can't do that yet. So Zombie Go Boom is a, is one of these companies. This one is built, um, this, I think they're based in Arkansas. And Zombie Go Boom filed a lawsuit in San Francisco against YouTube because Zombie Go Boom says that they lost 90% of their ad revenue when YouTube changed its policies. And they write in this lawsuit that it's got to the point where they can no longer afford to stay in business due to affirmative acts taken by YouTube with reckless disregard of the content providers that have made it a success to the public. Google says, hold on a second. Google says when you sign up for a YouTube channel, it's clear under the agreement in the term. By the way, nobody reads those things, but it's clear in that in those terms that it is not under any obligation to place advertisements on videos that Zombie Go Boom produces or that this woman produces or that anyone produces. They are under no obligation to do that. And Zombie Go Boom can post it anywhere they want. They don't have to go to YouTube. It also mentions, and this is a great argument on, on YouTube's behalf, they don't charge you when you post a video. They do not charge you a dime to post the video on YouTube. So whatever the cost of production is for Zombie Go Boom, for example, that's it. There's no subscription to YouTube. There's no, there's no you know, uh, hourly rate for the number of videos that you put on YouTube. There, none of that stuff. And the judge agreed with Google. And just last month, they dismissed the case. Zombie Go Boom which, by the way, has been, I guess it was like cartoon characters, made-up characters, made-up weapons, that sort of thing. That fell into, in some people's eyes, this uh, violent version of video that advertisers didn't want to have anything to do with and that YouTube was restricting. Zombie Go Boom is now trying to make money based on their old reputation on YouTube, since very few people are seeing their videos, by selling weapons and props online. 
Now, for YouTube and any social media site, for YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, changing security policies, changing any policy can be a balancing act. We've seen Facebook, I mean, deal with this front and center in the last couple of weeks. This whole story about Cambridge Analytica, how many tens of millions of records they were using, how much Facebook says they used, how much Cambridge Analytica says they used, and exactly the type of information that was released to these outside companies that you probably assumed was safe. Seems like every two or three months we get a new suggestion, even on Facebook, that says, hey, go to your settings and make sure that you check this box or uncheck that box or change this or change that because people can see what goes on in your bedroom or whatever it is. Google doesn't break out YouTube's financials. They don't publish them separately. But YouTube is definitely a big business. And in terms of advertiser revenue, Google and YouTube, sorry, YouTube specifically, is forecast to bring in more than $4 billion this year. Just YouTube. By the way, uh, Blake, we have a quick gas go around here because I want to I wanna see if anybody can come close to this. Um, everybody knows Justin Bieber is one of those guys who was originally discovered on YouTube. And, I mean, the guy is a multi-multi-millionaire now because of his music. $100 million, $200 million, whatever he's worth. Justin Bieber is one of those guys. He was there before YouTube really monetized this. I mean, I'm not saying he made money from YouTube, but that's how he was discovered. So everybody knows that he's probably the largest celebrity that was discovered on YouTube. But I have a question, and this is the gas go-around. Number one, do you have any idea who is the highest-grossing YouTube video content creator right now and how much money he makes? Don't don't give me that face, Monica. Uh, I think I know, but I have no idea. Okay. All right. We don't, I don't know. I don't know. All right, Blake. The name of, I'll take the real name or the screen name, of the person who is the highest paid YouTuber right now. Uh, the only guess I have is PewDiePie. Not correct. That's the only one I had. He still makes millions on YouTube, but yeah. not correct. He's, he's, he's the only big one. YouTube guy, though. Uh, Producer Nick, what do you got? That was going to be my guess as well. Yeah, uh, You've been listening to Blake yeah. too much. Monica. Oh, um, ah, those see, are, you thought it was no, PewDiePie. No, I, I oh. actually, my guess would have been Psy. You know that guy, that Gangnam Style guy? Oh. He had so many hits on YouTube. That's cute. Yeah. He's not even right. in the He's not even, he's in the not even on the list. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, okay. So I'm going to tell you the guy's name and you're going <laughs> to tell me how much money he makes. Dan TDM. Dan Middleton is a 27-year-old guy from England. Um, he he makes videos about games like Minecraft and Pokemon. How much money did Dan DTM, sorry, TDM, pull down last year? Uh, oh, 25 mil. Okay, Nick. I'll say 10 million. All right, Monica. I'm going to say 15. Monica's closest. He ah! brought in $16.5 million Jeez. last year. PewDiePie came in second at 12 million. PewDiePie. Terrifying. This is not a thing, but apparently now it's a thing. Everyone the greatest thing about, is making money on yeah. social media. The greatest media. thing about PewDiePie is he's not good at video games. <laughs> no, it's just he's, it, he even he's says, just entertaining I'm not to watch. good at these games. He's just funny? Yeah, he just it's the entertainment and his narration of how he's doing it all. 
We're talking about the shooting at the YouTube campus, and this woman's main complaint was she believed that she was being censored by YouTube, that she was uh, her videos were being filtered and discriminated against by YouTube, and she was mad that the shift in policy from last year was costing her a piece of the pie, that she saw her income drop as a result of this. And again, YouTube was under pressure to crack down on some of this content that was considered offensive or hateful, extremist, and had tweaked its monetization rules. In fact, they put up in a blog post, they said that the company was working on assigning more human reviewers to monitor the content while assuring the video creators that their input would be heard. For example, they were just using algorithms. They were using computers and relying on us, the consumers of YouTube, to flag content that needed to be filtered. But all of those policy changes changed the game for a bunch of the small video makers. Like this woman, she wasn't prolific. She wasn't a huge celebrity, but she had some income. She had workout clips and uh, animal videos, vegan cooking tutorials. No one's quite sure how much she was making from ad revenue before the change or exactly why these new rules affected her specifically. But she felt like she was devastated she felt like she was being discriminated against and filtered so youtube some of the the people who do create the content and are in that smaller to mid-level area where they're not making the 16 million or the 12 million but maybe they're making a thousand dollars a month or two thousand dollars a month they're the ones who are the most upset by all of this One frequent YouTube user said YouTube is kind of a monopoly. It should act as a public utility. Many users want to move to another platform, but there are no big competitors yet. And this is, I think, the key that he said, the key phrase. YouTube should consider this in the future if it doesn't want to end up like MySpace. If there is another video content, video content platform that's available that is – something that people can go to and have more freedom perhaps and still get that income, then they'll go. There have been headlines recently about some people who do create some of those, some of that content that would be considered hateful or extremist or offensive, but has been a moneymaker for them in the past. They're going to like a porn hub because they're not going to be filtered there. I mean, Are they? The other aspect of the shooting is that the Google campus, campuses, campi, I don't know what the right word is. It's all over the place. I mean, Alphabet, which owns Google, Facebook, Apple, Twitter, all of these places have ridiculously large real estate holdings up in the Bay Area. They're all over the place. And it's not just one centralized hub, especially not for Google, which has all these different offshoots. They're doing things that are attempting to integrate with neighborhoods up in uh, in the Bay Area, San Bruno specifically, because that's where the shooting took place. So they're trying to make their office areas more accessible to everyone, to their neighbors, all of that stuff. And as we saw in San Bruno... This woman got on campus with a 9 millimeter handgun. And there are going to be a 
lot of questions about what to do about these wide open campuses in Silicon Valley where everybody gets to feel happy and ride scooters and play ping pong all the time. But are they going to have some sort of hardened security because now it's become a target? Will the National Guard end up on the border in California? We'll talk about that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. I know I can treat you better than he can. And any guy like you deserves a gentleman. Tell me why are we wasting time on all your wasted time when you should be with me instead. Gary and Shannon, speaking of the John and Ken show today. Today, John and Ken are broadcasting live from the Phoenix Club restaurant parking lot located at the Anaheim Mile of Cars. The final roundup of the gas tax signatures and petitions and a major update we're going to have today on the recall of Senator Josh Newman. So, John and Ken, live today from 2 to 6 at the Phoenix Club restaurant, the Anaheim Mile of Cars on South Sanderson Avenue in Anaheim. Carl DeMaio is going to be there, John Coupal, some other mystery guests as well. Um, we're going to get into a lot more about this in the uh, 1230 segment when we get into Swamp Watch and hopefully get some updates, maybe even from Sacramento updates, on what's going on with the call to have National Guard troops sent to the border in California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. The president has signed a proclamation uh, to send National Guard troops there to help current Border Patrol agents with their work. Now, we talked about this a little bit yesterday. National Guard troops cannot be law enforcers in this case. And the other times that they've been sent to the border, 2006, 2010, uh, 2010 under then-Governor Schwarzenegger, they were doing uh, basic secondary things to help out with Border Patrol. Customs and Border Patrol agents were the ones doing the actual law enforcement, the apprehensions along the border, the, the law enforcement duties. While National Guard troops were doing things like repairs, paperwork, um, security work, which involved watching monitors and things like that, they weren't slapping cuffs on people. And that's the assumption of what would happen in this, uh, this dispersal, this deployment of National Guard troops along the border once again. There are no specifics, though, and this is important. The president first floated this during a a press conference a couple days ago with the presidents of the uh, three Baltic nations. And yesterday, the Homeland Security Secretary briefed the press on the proposal. She argued it was necessary to prevent unacceptable levels of illegal drugs, dangerous gang activity, transnational criminal organizations, and illegal immigration from flowing across the country's southern border. Important point there that I'll come back to. But um, in a statement that was released last night... The deployment, the White House said the deployment was needed to give our Border Patrol agents the support they deserve and that the National Guard troops would remain in a support role. That's got to be the way it is. The president does have the power to federalize National Guard troops, but it would involve them being active military service. They'd have to call them into active military service. That only comes up when you're trying to... When you're trying to stop a riot, I'm looking at you, 1992. It also, it would have to be if we were being invaded. And I don't mean by people carrying backpacks. I mean, if it was a military invasion, then you would see this happen. 
the Trump administration is not proposing the militarization or federalization, federalizing of the National Guard in this case. The governors retained control of the National Guard under this White House proclamation. So that gives sign-off capability, veto power to California, Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas. Arizona and Texas are already in on this. I mean, that was never a question. Arizona and Texas said it's about time. New Mexico, Governor Susana Martinez, I think her name is, has said, well, we what we really appreciate the effort to bring states to the table to go about taking steps to better secure our border. That's not a that's not a full thumbs up, but at least it's a hey, we appreciate that you're thinking about us. You know who's been dead quiet on all of this? Just dead silent. Jerry Brown. Kristen Nielsen, again, Department of Homeland Security Secretary, says that she has spoken with Jerry Brown about the deployment. That she will continue to have conversations about the National Guard deployment. And her comment was, It was very encouraging that some of them have taken dramatic steps in their own states to confront illegal immigration and strengthen border security. There are leaders who understand the importance of enforcement and border security and how it improves public safety in their states. I look forward to working with each of them. Jerry Brown could very easily veto this plan and set up a huge fight and don't think he's not licking his chops. He loves the idea of going up against the Trump administration in this case. But he's not the only one. Governor Schwarzenegger, back in 2006, got into a huge fight with George W. Bush about deploying National Guard troops to the border. Because because Governor Schwarzenegger wanted to know, great, but how many? Are you going to, you going to tie up all of the National Guardsmen and women that uh, work for the state of California? Are you going to tie them all up now? What if something happens? Do I have the ability to call them back and help out in the event of a natural disaster, an earthquake, or, you know, of course, the the good old insurrection? Love that word. He also wanted to know who's going to pay for it and how long is it going to last? What does the end thing look like? What does the end game look like? That's what Governor Schwarzenegger was asking the Republican governor of the Republican president when it came to the original deployment of National Guard troops along the border back in 2006. Barack Obama did the same thing. Operation Phalanx. That's a horrible word. He deployed 1,200 troops as part of that operation. The National Guard already does have a counter-drug program. That's about 250 people in the National Guard who conduct counter-drug missions around the state. 55 of those people, of the 250, about 55 of them, actually do support directly along the border. But it appears that we're going to be talking about thousands. Again, the specifics haven't come out yet, but it would appear to be thousands. So the Pentagon has to get involved with this. They have to figure out what's going on. And I think that's what Jerry Brown is waiting for, is more uh, some of the details before he fights back. But he is going to fight back. That's just what he does. He is licking his chops, getting ready for this fight that's brewing between he and uh, the Trump administration over this. All right. The Masters is underway. The beautiful, beautiful Masters at Augusta. And one of the things that happens every year is they do a par three 
game. They do a par three setup contest. That's a better word. And it's all the old guys that get together and some of the new guys. And they have their families out there. It's like Grandpa Jack Nicholas is going to play, but his grandson is going to be his caddy. And it's very cool. Like, it's a it's a great way to get into the Masters. It was spectacular yesterday. Because not only did Jack Nicholas's grandson hit a hole-in-one, one of the other guys, Tony Finau, was playing in the Masters. He hit a hole-in-one and then rolled his ankle. Did you know golf was that violent? He rolled his ankle. I'm going to play all this for you because it, it only gets better. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. You know Shannon, that wasn't me. But again, it's it's coming loose again, and I don't know how you twist it around completely, because you you never make a full revolution when you twist this microphone around, because the mic cable is still attached to it. But I can tell it's loose from where it was yesterday. Have we have we talked to the other hosts? Has this happened to them? Because I, I this is starting to become a Gary problem. Oh, great! So it's my be gentle <laughs> with it. I'll be gentle with it. Uh, congratulations, by the way, to, let's see, Dean and Amy and Drago and Josie and Betty. Uh, those five uh, sent in some of their best mom advice that they got. So they won autographed copies of Louis Anderson's book. By the way, uh, that whole interview is up on our website. If you want to go check it out at KFIAM640.com, use the keyword Gary and Shannon. You can hear the podcast from yesterday's show. Comedian Louis Anderson was with us for an entire hour yesterday uh super nice guy and uh you could hear all about his book and his show he's on baskets and early life and stand-up comedy and his family and his mom and all of that stuff but it's a it's worth checking out also go onto the website right now and see on our page we have a picture of a guy twisting his ankle now wait before you immediately say no this was in a golf contest yesterday this was the, the par three contest, which they do every Wednesday before the Masters at Augusta. And it's an opportunity for some of the old guys who are never going to play again, like Jack Nicholas, for example, to come in and hang out with their family. It's just a showcase for some of the greatest golfers in the world to get together. Very low key, very informal, because in this case, Tony Finau had uh, who's a you know an American golfer? I think he's won one PGA Tour event. This is his first Masters. He's there with his four kids as his caddies, and his four kids and his wife, and I think his mom were traveling around with him. That would never happen in the Masters. I mean, you got to have a caddy, and they got to wear that white sh- smock. This guy's on the seventh tee. He rolls up. And gets a hole in one. And now at the seventh hole, Tony Finau. Come on down. Come on. Come on. Down. Come on. Hit it. Oh. <laughs> it's a hole in one. It's a lot of fun. Everybody's having a great time. Four children with them. Whoa, don't hurt yourself. All right. Now, what happened was he hits the ball. It goes in the hole, hole in one. Amazing. He runs off the tee box towards the hole and then spins around and is running backwards. 
And then his left ankle just curls underneath him. It's the most, it's not the most gruesome. I mean, it's not Joe Theismann, but it's gruesome. Because anybody who's rolled their ankle, it will make you flinch. What's worse, this is the He's on the ground, right? Like he's he's kneeling down because his left ankle has just curled underneath him. And he reaches down with his left hand and he goes and he pops it back in place. <laughs> Ow! You got to see this video. It will make you squirm. KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon. Here's the other one. Jack Nicholas is out there with his grandson. Jack Nicholas, golfing legend, right? Jack Nicholas is out there with his grandson, G.T. Nicholas. And somewhere like, I don't know, sixth T or whatever. It's, again, all these are par threes. So they're all relatively short. This teenage kid gets up there and tees off because he, even though he's caddying for Grandpa, it's so informal that Grandpa's like, hey, why don't you hit this one? You only need to swing about 120 miles an hour. That's, that's a good speed for him. Come on, man. Come on, 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 yes, yes, yes! You're playing with your grandpa, who is arguably one of the top three golfers in history, and you hit a hole-in-one in front of him. Favorite part about this was Jack Nicholas was asked about that. This is a six-time winner of the Masters. And he said he would have given up all six of his green jackets for that moment right there. In a contest that doesn't matter, it's just it's just for fun. But to see his grandson hit that hole in one. Uh, I just experienced something that uh, uh, you, know, you always want the best for your, for your kids and your grandkids. And to watch your, your a grandkid come along and knock in a hole in one on the biggest venue in the world on on, on, a, on a day that really it's he's up here to caddy for his grandfather to be part of the day and then knock it into a hole in one wow i mean what a day what fantastic and you know his his father i i, I don't think his father i don't know where he is but look up around the trees up here i don't think he's come down yet i'm sure he's still up there and uh, today was a very very special day and one obviously I'll never forget. He had tears in his eyes when he was talking about his grandson he hitting that hole-in-one. Very That's cool. Cute. By the way, the guy who uh, blew out his ankle had x-rays. He's fine. In fact, he's uh, I think he's on the fourth hole already. Uh, and I think he's uh, one over. Tiger Woods is one over through 11 now. Uh, maybe 12, maybe two over because he just bogeyed the 11th. Anyway, I love the Masters. I love watching it. And uh, my wife is going to hate me all weekend because I'm going to watch golf. When we come back, we are going to be talking with Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast, about parenting styles. There are a few parenting styles that uh, you can go one way or the other, and a lot of it will determine how your kids come out. Like, are you a teacher or a guider? You know, are you going to tell your kids how to do something, or are you going to grab them by the hand and show them how to do that? What about, uh, are you Mr. Affectionate, Mrs. Affectionate, or are you tough love? Hugs, kisses, compliments, or only when they deserve it? Very big difference. We'll talk about all of that, how how Justin does it, and why his kids are so screwed up. 
when we come back to Gary and Shannon. Gary and Shannon, a couple of things to uh, to remember. At 12.30, when we get into Swamp Watch, we're going to talk more about the president's proclamation that the National Guard will be sent to the border and who it is that has to sign off on that. Jerry Brown. Um, that's coming up. We'll also, at the bottom of this hour, be talking about that civil case out of the San Diego area. Rebecca Zahau, remember the woman who was found... Her hands and legs tied and bound, and she had been was found hanging off of a balcony at her home. The coroner said it was suicide, but now her boyfriend's brother has been held responsible for it and is going to have to pay the family $5 million. We'll talk about that at the bottom of the hour. Mark Saltzman in the 1 o'clock hour. Some strange science stuff, including an opioid antidote news at uh, in strange science at one thirty, but we welcome in Justin Warsham, host of the welcome Dad indeed. Podcast. Welcome, indeed. How are you? I'm a, I'm excellent. I am uh, I'm feeling good. Not to brag, but I yeah. interviewed Louis Anderson yesterday. I did hear it, uh, and if not to uh, stop you in your mid not bragging, right? But I highly recommend that people go back and listen to it on the podcast. It was it was I a heard lot it in of the fun. halls here. They were broadcasting it in the halls through the both floors, and I heard it in snippets in my studio. You know what's funny is that he wasn't even scheduled to come in until. 11:30, and he was on channel five earlier yesterday morning and they gave him like four minutes and sam rubin and whoever was sitting next to sam they just they gave him like four minutes they're like hey louis anderson you were yeah. on the tonight show one time and then you wrote a book ladies and gentlemen louis anderson like it was that it was really bizarrely short and he's a super interesting guy i mean aside from his career in comedy i just think very authentic, very open. Like, just it was, it was great. Yeah, not to blow some sunshine where it doesn't belong. Have you ever met him before? Negative on that oh. one. Oh, figured you know. In big, the world, big time. We don't all know stuff. each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, this was a fantastic uh, topic today for in terms of. Uh, the oh, good. Because I was kind of nervous about it. To be honest, no, no. I, I, because I think I have. I think a lot of people have these conversations with people. And it's one of the main things that you do as a parent in terms of kind of doing the self-evaluation. How am I doing? Am I doing one thing too much? Am I not doing enough of another thing? And this issue of, you know, the, the different ways that you can parent. You know, Yeah, I try to break it into parenting into categories and and find the polar opposite. I'm almost trying to build... Uh, I didn't think of it when I started doing this, but my buddy is really big on the Myers Briggs like personality test. Uh-huh. And so, when, I as a, I was I putting this together, like <laughs> uh, I, so uh, when I was putting this together, I'm like, what if? Yeah, what if I try to put it into almost like a Myers Briggs test for parents? And so I figured we could just kind of shoot the breeze and talk about I, my hope. My hope here is that I don't accidentally lean too objectively to the side that I tend towards. I, I'm going to try and play as much of both sides as I can because. In looking into these, there are benefits to both sides. Uh, like if you start off right out of the box, you can go, I came up with these terms like a teacher or a guide, like you explained before going into the break, that a teacher is somebody who's like, here is the lesson, now go figure it out in my mind. Mm-hmm. But then there are also people who want, who feel it's important to kind of walk you through each step of the way. Where do, where do you think you fall on that spectrum? Uh, I, it depends on the 
It depends on the subject, I would say. Yeah. Uh, but in terms of things like, I, I mean, there are things that I'm never going to be able to guide my kids through, like relationship stuff. Mm. I, I can be an example for them, perhaps, in dealing with friends or dealing with people you don't like or de- whatever. Um, but but I can't guide them through that necessarily. And there are times they don't want to be guided through that. You know, <laughs> my 15 year old daughter is not going to come to me. With relation for relationship advice, well, but I think a guide is going to find a way to Machiavellian like and sneak their way in. They're more, they're more, they're way more invested. So they, they maybe it doesn't seem imposing or anything like that, but mm-hmm. they will walk a kid like they want to know if their kid is dating. So if you were to go, say you're you lean away from that in this area, do you need to know if your kid is da- da- dating someone, or are you kind of indifferent to that? You just kind of do you choose to stay away. Uh, I'm all up in her business. So <laughs> all up. So you so you know. Yes. But it's interesting. This is why I like talking about this kind of stuff because I think your <laughs> your perception of yourself would be somebody who's like, well, I I can't teach them. I can't do. You know what I mean? Yeah. I can't I can't guide them through all of that. But maybe it's just because in this thing because you know that you can't put together like a, a 19 point uh, phone contract for dating. Right. Right. That, that seems be much longer than right. that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but because you can't do that. So that's why you are at least aware, but you are not uh, informing. Is that a better way of putting it? Probably. You're, yeah. you're more surveillance than you are uh, chaperone. Yes. Yeah. That would be a better way to put it. But it, but it would also be, I mean, in terms of the difference between teaching someone and guiding someone through the situation, Teaching them, and I would probably lay it out up front. Like, here are expectations. Here's what I would expect of you in terms of a relationship that you find yourself in. I want you to find somebody that makes you laugh. I want you to find somebody that makes you happy. I want you to make uh, find somebody that's going to protect you and, and help you. And those, you know, I want those things for you. But that I would, you know, that would be like an upfront list of things. And then the actual decisions about what relationship she gets into would be totally up to her. You know, I mean, I can tell her what I expect or what I want for her. Hers, she's going to be the one, she's going to be the boots on the ground. She's going to be the one who's going to be actually doing the decision-making, making making the mistakes, making the right choices, that sort of stuff. So I I think I would qualify you then, it sounds like, and I I would lump myself in that, the more of a teacher. I personally believe that failure is the best teacher ever. Yeah. So I try to, if my kid comes to me with help, you try to make him fail. I do. I do. <laughs> I do. As much as I can. And it, the, the only thing I could think of that is a big downside is that I would be lying if I didn't sit here and spend many a sleepless night going, what if I'm ruining them? Oh, I'm ruined. What if, you know, like, and I know, uh, and we'll get into this category later. And I feel in my mind, I justify it. I justify allowing them to fail and sometimes kind of setting them up to fail as a, as because I also am very affectionate when especially when they succeed or when they try and when when they put their all into something and it doesn't work out I feel it's important to to um to validate that right. to support it and say listen you did and it, it things didn't shake out the effort is what counts I it, mm, see but see, this is where it gets hypocritical cuz I don't know. I, do, I also feel like it's important to be results oriented. Well, yes. To a certain degree, right? Well, I would never say that you discount winning, for example. Right. First place is always awesome. Right. But sometimes you're not going to make it. You know, your best effort is going to fall short. But as long as it's your best effort, I don't, you know, I, I'm not 
I'm not going to not let you eat. You're not going to have to walk <laughs> home from the game because you didn't get first place. I hope I don't get there when they become teenagers. Right now, it's, I think, illegal. But when, <laughs> but if they make them walk home or not eat. Uh, and, and just to kind of give a button to this is I think that the – there are. It is two sides of the coin, even when it comes to experts like child development specialists or psychologists. Their kind of thought process, they'll, they'll talk out of both sides of that coin and they'll say, well, life experience, you know, here's a better way to put it. I think we always experience this uh, pendulum swing in civilization, right? Like we, we, we get way into things. And I think that right now in a parenting world, we're coming out of a bubble wrap parenting perspective where it is like, Protect them, keep them safe, make them feel good, and it's starting to swing back the other way. Where pretty soon, I don't. I think it's already. You're seeing growing trends of summer camps that involve kids like doing like really cool stuff, mostly, and and it's to lure the kid away. But it's also that it's because we're going to teach them how we're going to teach them life skills. We're gonna we're gonna do all of that stuff, and we're gonna disconnect them from you which is important for their self-confidence. Well, that word disconnect, I think, is important as well because yeah. of the amount of social media. Everybody's got a screen in front of their face that w- you can't have that and the bubble wrap mentality because your kid's just going to be completely incapable of of any sort of social right. situation awareness. They're just going to be a giant blob when it comes to a group setting. And have no ability to interact with anybody. Right. So and you got to pull them out of that. You got to push them out of their comfort zone, take the screen away from them, and, you know, do a ropes course or whatever it is. Exactly. And I think we'll find that as we go through more of these, that the middle of the road is obviously the best one. But I, th- I think that people will find themselves leaning just a little bit towards one way or the other. If you're more inclined to be a teacher, the kind of the downside is, is that oftentimes if kids don't experience any kind of success and they fail too often, it can be damaging to their self-esteem. But weirdly enough, the same thing holds true is that if you guide your kid through everything, kind of helping them to succeed, they get a false sense of self-esteem. And then when you're not there to guide them, it becomes a harder crash once they leave the nest. In a few minutes, we're going to give away $1,000 brought to you by Cunning Dental. You're missing some teeth or your kid knocked them out. Call Cunning Dental for a free exam. 888-640-SMILE. Keep listening. In a few minutes, we'll give it away. Justin, uh, Justin Warsham, host of the Dad Podcast. Affectionate or tough love? Yeah. Are, I feel what like are you. I feel like uh, I I would qualify myself as tough love, but having just having the conversation with you, where you felt like you know, as far as dating, like I can't really. But then you're like you said, I am I'm all up in it, right? I I I used to give my kids rashes from my stubble because I would kiss them so much when they were infants, like holding them. I just couldn't stop holding them. I ruined my son's ability to sleep on his own because he would sit on my chest. And I, oh, I just, right now, it makes me, it gets me oh choked my up. God. I do, I swear. I do, I'm such a mess. I'm a hot mess, Gary Hoffman, when it comes to my kids. Hold on. Let me get, <laughs> well, where's the Kleenex? Just wipe? give me a sanitizing wipe. I'll take the burn. Uh, <laughs> I've deserved it. There, it's <laughs> Kleenex. Oh, uh, it's all right. Uh, it's just so beautiful. You know, you smell their little heads and, oh. They don't get cradle cap anymore, Gary. They don't get cradle cap. They don't need you. Um, but, <laughs> but. I find myself having many a conversation with my wife where she's telling me I'm a jerk because, like, they'll come to me with something. I'm not such a jerk where, like, they – here's an example. When they were young, they used to scribble with, like, markers and stuff and do, like, a project. And then my wife was like, oh, what is this? And would have a conversation with them. And they go, oh, that's a lion. And so she wrote lion next to this completely unintelligible markings. Like, not a lion. Not even a cave painting quality. Right. Like, it's just lines, Right. And then, uh, and I was like, I get that. So to me, that makes sense. 
Then what she did was she went to Michael's and bought a frame and then put it up on the wall and framed it. And to me, I'm like, eh, that's a little bit much. Now, I get the novelty. I get the <laughs> cuteness of it. So that is truly where I lie. I've had many a time where she's like, you know, they'll come in and go, like the most recent was my son came in and he said, Dad, I got 7 out of 15 on my math test. I go, that is horrible. <laughs> that was the first thing that came out of my mouth. That is horrible. <laughs> Hold on. Wait a minute. There's so much wrapped in that yeah. <laughs> that he was excited about getting a 7 out of 15. Yes. There's no a- kidding? <laughs> Math not as strong. Clearly, math is not your thing. Yeah, we're getting that one a tutor over the summer. Uh, (laughs) But, um, but yeah, so that's where I think, because I do believe in a world of, you know, participation trophies and all of that, while I get the intent behind them, I understand that we all want everybody to feel good and have an opportunity. I think the big thing that we all are not seeing is, is that by learning to struggle, by learning to fail, and, and we make that other trophy that is earned, less significant for the kid who earned it or when your kid eventually earns it. I I mean, I, I don't want to get up on a soapbox, but um, I coach flag football and uh, it's kind of a big deal to me. It's kindergarten through second graders when the offensive coordinator of the Burbank bills, I'm uh, working on an assistant coach position with the Burbank uh, bears. They're in a different division. That's the third and fourth grade for my older son. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to brag Gary. I don't, I don't come on your airwaves to brag (laughs) about my accomplishments in the flag football arena. But, um, but it is funny to see these little kindergarten kids who don't really know about anything and they can't, they can't catch a ball to save their life or they can't get that flag that first time that they do it. Then it's a big deal. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I always say, keep going. You're going to get it. But I don't say, good job if you didn't do what you were supposed to do kind of a thing. Right. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect how sense. How would you see, how, how would you feel you fall well, in there? In terms of the difference between affection and tough love, yeah. I'm not an affectionate person. I mean, just in general, I'm not outwardly affectionate to a lot of people. Um, so I'm not the huggy guy all the time. I Is probably, that why 20-second hugs are such a big deal to you? Yeah. Oh. It's, uh, I always thought you liked them, but you were being sarcastic. Well, no, they work. That's the thing is they you can tell absolutely that. work, but you got to get past the 20 seconds. And like, then I imagine when you get teenagers, you can't, you can't hug your teenage daughter for 20 seconds, can you? Or is that, is it, is it all right? Uh, I don't know. I probably could. Like okay. she would, she would, she would uh, tolerate it perhaps. <laughs> um, but I did, I did have this weird moment with my son who's now 18 and he's living, you know, with a buddy down the hill and around the corner. And uh, we see him maybe once or twice a week. He'll stop by and get food or whatever. We have friends over that he wants to see, and he'll come by. And my wife always runs up, always gives him a hug. Before, during, after, always gives him a hug. And uh, I don't know what to do. Like, I'll get up right next to him and be like, you you have a nice day at work tomorrow, son. And then, like, kind of half hug, half high five thing. Awkward. Made it worse. (laughs) And now he thinks his dad's an idiot, but only because I'm not, I don't know how to do the physical affection. Thing. I don't know how to make it seem normal just because that's the way my parents were with me. Not mm-hmm. that they were, over, I never questioned whether or not they loved me. It was just, it wasn't like a thing, just not a big deal. So I wouldn't say tough love. Like they don't have to, they don't have to earn it. I'm not going to withhold it from them. It's just that my physical cues are probably not going to be as strong as other people's. And then what about you and your wife? Are you guys physically affectionate in yeah. front of kids? A lot of the experts yeah. say that if you want to really model a uh, connection is that the more you can obviously not make out, you know what I mean? You don't want to no. get to third base with her on the kitchen sink. But 
you can. Uh, I don't want to judge, Gary. Whatever you do in the Hoffman house with two ends, <laughs> that's up to you, my brother. Big sink. Uh, <laughs> farmer sink is what they've heard. Uh, so, but you, if you can, like I, I do a lot of uh, little butt pat. I do a lot of uh, kiss. It's a big deal. We don't leave before everybody gets a kiss in our family. So maybe... Maybe I would lean myself more towards the affectionate side than than any uh, any of those. Yeah. But the the experts say that it is true that you if you it it can make we go to an old school mindset, right? The old school dad when he said he was proud of you or when he said he loved you because he had never said those words until he was on his deathbed or or something along those lines or you'd had right. some kind of great achievement that it it created a fire, it created a, a desire in one's guts to prove themselves worthy. And so it's to me, it's a lot like a coach in a football situation. Not to bring it back to that, but no, <laughs> in that you you you, the, Belichick is known for being able to get something out of people without them really knowing that that's his that's his tactic, right? Right, and it's it's more about that in that situation. And I don't know how well it works in a mom scenario. The only ones I've heard about is that the moms who tend to be a little borderline verbally abusive about weight and image and things along those lines. And so they can create a desire and a drive. Whereas if, if you are just, everything you do is magical, everything you do is fantastic. Then you just think, well, I'm nailing it. And you, you don't have that drive, but you have a certain level of self-confidence that you don't have if it's withheld. Yeah. And so, yeah, again, the middle of the road is obviously the best. Uh, the difference between education and life experience. Yeah, this is I'm, I'm very curious to, to hear your thoughts specifically on this, because I would qualify. My dad was really big on education. But as I got older, I realized that it's because my grandparents never pushed it on him. He never really had a desire for me to go to college, but he wanted me to do well in school because I think it now as I got older, I thought it was more about the work ethic. Mm hmm. But I see this. There's a huge. This definitely is one sided as far as the the dynamic that I've seen, not only in my social social circles, but in research, is that there's a huge push on education. And what I think is happening is that college is becoming such a requirement that it's going to become the new high school in order to get a job. Like you have to have a college degree in order to get a job. At least that's everybody's belief. But then more often than not, people with a high school diploma because they enter the workforce earlier will tend to do better financially as far as the percentages of groups. <laughs> so my thing is it's going to depend on your kid. I think all of these are going to depend on the personality of your child. Um, I've been dealing with this a little bit in that uh, our son didn't had no desire to go to college, at least not, not yet. He turned 18, graduated high school with great grades. I mean, didn't have to work very hard for his grades, and he did fine. Uh, but wasn't interested in the idea of going off to a four-year school for anything um, and is taking some welding classes and stuff like that. He's particularly uh, entrenched in the world of cars right now, and he's on his own. He's paying rent. He's living with roommates. Like, he's doing these things that this, he was doing the some of the experiences that he would have gotten at a college mm -hmm. environment without, you know, 12 units and, and papers and that sort of thing. So in that sense... He's doing well. He's succeeding at those things that I would want him to succeed at if he's not going to go to school. On the other hand, we have a daughter who's, I mean, right now she's she's touring college campuses. She's 15. So she's got two years before she would even think about which school she would go to. Um, but that's her, that's her path. Like she knows that that's her path. Not that she wouldn't also get the life experience on a college campus, living in a dorm, having roommates, that sort of thing, paying your own bills and that. Just that it's a different 
you know, that different personalities are going to suit these two kids very differently. It doesn't sound like you disagree with uh, your son's choice, but do you feel that maybe you and or your wife were slightly more concerned about the idea of him not going to college? Because both of you guys went to college, right? Right. And and our siblings, I mean, right. uh, all went to college. So there was an expectation. I think you're right. There is that expectation that college is the next logical progression. How could you not go to college? Especially from the high school that they graduated from, where, you know, 95% of the people who graduate end up going on to a four-year school or at least into some junior college or something. So it's uh, it was it was a big revelation for us to just kind of take our foot off the gas and say, listen, you don't want to go to school right away or ever, but we say right away, then then don't because I don't want to pay for something. For one thing, I don't want to have to pay for something that you're only half assing. Yeah. Um, that being said, if you change your mind the next several years, we've got money socked away to help you pay for college. So that's so you guys set aside money from when they were young to oh, build yeah. a college fund. Absolutely. See, and I would probably put myself on the opposite end of that, that I, I'm not anti-college, but I feel like there are very few jobs in this world that you truly need a college degree to get into. Right. Like if it's a certified position, like maybe a lawyer, a doctor, teacher, those kinds of things, I'm sure there are thousands of others, but like my nephew, he wanted, he did like what every kid was like, I'm going to go to a culinary school. I'm like, just get a job at a restaurant first. Like right. when you turn 15, start washing dishes and get a feel for the environment because I feel like you can learn a lot more and probably get into a workforce and start networking a lot faster. I caught some flack from my mom because she wanted to contribute to the kids' college fund, and I said, they don't have one. She goes, you're not setting aside money for the kids? I said, no, I didn't say that. We put 100 bucks a month for each kid aside, and it's invested in uh, a mutual fund. And when they turn 17, I will take it out of their name and put it in my name until I know that they have at least the wherewithal to not take what could be forty to $60,000, right. depending on how the market shakes out between and now and then. And buy a killer go-kart. Exactly right. I don't, you know, if they, and if I have to sit on that to the 30, now if they want to use it for college, that's great. But if I put it in a college fund and they don't use it for college, then there's a penalty. And I just didn't want to deal with that because what if my kid finds out he wants to go into a trade or doesn't want to go to school at all, just wants to start his own business. And then maybe that's seed money I could give him or it's a down payment for a house that can give him that heads up. Yeah. What do you what is your reaction to my plan on that? Uh, it's totally fine. Uh, the one thing I know to I know about the five oh five twenty nine plans mm -hmm. is that it's transferable between siblings. So if my son never doesn't use his his, you know, socked away money. Yeah. I'm just going to give it to his sister. I don't care. I mean, he could also keep hash it. it out later. Yeah, let them fight. If I'm it. her I, or if I'm him, I'm like, listen, you owe me. Just so you know, I paid. I would I, do nothing but talk of like I would visit her at school going, so this is where my money is going. Right. Like, <laughs> it could also, I mean, it could stay in his name. He keeps it and it goes to uh, to his kids if he wants it down the road. Or I take the penalty and go on vacation with it. There you go. Uh, this is another one I like. Rule with an iron fist, or do you like to be uh, buddies with your kids? I pretty much think you and I are both going to uh, land on the same side of this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's an iron fist. Right. Why? There's, there's, because there has to be order. They have to understand consequences. They have to understand that the things that they do. Uh, here's, a, here's one. They have to understand that sometimes the consequences are the disappointment of the people who love them the most. Like, you have screwed up badly and i'm disappointed in you Ooh. still love you but it's i'm not that I'm mad it's i'm that dis I'm disappointed 
I like it. But I'm disappointed in the decision or whatever, you know. Like, that, that I think is a very important thing as opposed to like, oh, well, the cop was wrong for pulling you over or that teacher's a bonehead for getting you in trouble. Why, you know, why can't they have some slack? Well, here's – so let me play devil's advocate because I agree. But I can easily see the other side of this in that the what most people say is that if you – are friendly with your kid. You know, like you want to say, hey, have, have some friends over at my house. It's okay. I'll get some booze. As long as everybody, you do the thing where it's like, as long as nobody's leaving, right. and I'll check in with the parents, then we can have some cool underage drinking. It's all good. You know, that kind of stuff. Or I want you to come. If you're having sex, I want you to come and talk to me about it. I want us to have this open dialogue. It's what I would put in more kind of a, air quotes, a hippie style of parenting. Every, it, and buddy, buddy, it's like, or trying to be cool with the kids, you know, driving them to cool places, making sure they got a limo for prom night, like that kind of thing. The belief is is that that will create a stronger bond, and so therefore you can be even more involved in your kid's life and and be able to guide them better because they feel comfortable coming to you. Do you feel like because you were more authoritarian uh, or iron fist guy that your kids wouldn't come to you with issues or or questions or anything like that? No, I I think that it I think they would still come to me with issues, come to me with problems that they had protected me against being manipulated by them because they're and see what's interesting about your dynamic is a lot of uh, a lot of families where the dad is the authoritarian and mom is the friend right but i feel like you and shannon are both kind of authoritarian people am i mislabeling her you think i think that's that's absolutely right uh we were talking about this maybe next week i get my wife in here oh boy i'm so so excited anyway uh that's enough for today just justin warsham uh host of the dad podcast check it out at the dadpodcast.com Facebook and all that sort of thing as well. Yep. Thanks, man. Thank you. Coming back, the rate, the latest of the Rebecca Zahau case, the jury has come back with a decision and awarded her family $5 million. We'll explain why. We don't feel like outsiders. Gary and Shannon, on this Thursday, it's April 5th, my daughter texted me, because apparently she was listening to that segment. She said, uh, I'm the one who has to deal with the parents. Shouldn't I be the one talking to Justin? <clears throat> okay. All right. Easy. Easy, easy, easy. Uh, there is a story that we've covered multiple times now, the death of Rebecca Zahau. If you remember back in July of 2011, Rebecca, 32 years old, was found naked with her feet bound, her hands tied behind her back, and a T-shirt stuffed in her mouth, hanging from the second-story balcony of the Spreckles Mansion in Coronado, where she was living with her boyfriend. Originally, they said that this was a suicide. The coroner's office said this was a suicide. But there's some weird stuff going on here. And yesterday, a jury awarded her family $5 million in punitive damages. A few days before Rebecca was found dead, a six-year-old boy, her boyfriend's six-year-old son, had somehow fallen over a second-floor railing in the house while Rebecca was watching him. And he ended up in the hospital in grave condition. So the boyfriend, Jonah, was at the hospital this night. Jonah's brother, Adam, had flown in from Tennessee after hearing that his nephew was in the hospital. So it's just the two of them. It's just Rebecca and the boyfriend's brother, Adam, 
in the mansion the night of Rebecca's death. He was staying on the mansion grounds, but he wasn't in the actual house the night she died. He said. He said he didn't even go into the main house until the next morning. And that that was when he discovered Rebecca's body hanging from the balcony. That he cut her down from the rope and called 911. The authorities figured out that she had tied her own hands and feet that she had gagged herself and committed suicide after listening to a voicemail from her boyfriend saying that the little boy was in very grave condition. Now, three days later, he did end up dying, but the little boy was still alive at the time. Rebecca's a house family refused to accept the authorities' version of this. They refused to accept the suicide ruling from the coroner, and they took the case public. They had her remains exhumed, They had a new uh, forensic pathologist perform a second autopsy. And that pathologist said that there was enough evidence for him to suspect foul play. They asked the the state attorney general's office to reopen this case, but was denied. Two years after Rebecca was found dead, they filed this lawsuit against Adam. Again, the boyfriend's brother, the only other person who was on the grounds of the mansion that night. Along with... Jonah's ex-wife, the boyfriend's ex-wife, who was the father, I'm sorry, the mother of this six-year-old. The boyfriend wasn't named in the lawsuit. He was at the hospital that night with his son. Dina, the little boy's mom, said that these allegations were disgraceful and they were an abuse of the legal system. To create this fantastical story and insert us in something like this was beyond the pale of humane. She was at the hospital also the night Rebecca died. And the attorney for the Sahau family eventually dropped her and her sister from the lawsuit and publicly apologized. But the boyfriend's brother, Adam, was still in the lawsuit. Again, his argument was... He never left the guest house. He never went into the main mansion the night Rebecca died. In fact, only Rebecca's fingerprints and only her DNA were found at the scene, the bedroom. And even though Adam told them he to cut down Rebecca from the rope and performed chest compressions and mouth-to-mouth in an interview in an effort to, to revive her, the jury decided that he is responsible for $5 million in punitive damages. Again, the coroner said that this was a suicide. The jury now awarded Rebecca Zahouse family $5 million in punitive damages. Standing outside the courthouse yesterday, the attorney said this was this has never been about money. This has been trying to force the San Diego County Sheriff's Department to reopen this case. We got the case reopened. That's it. Our job is not done yet. The attorney says the family's going to petition the sheriff to reopen the case to declassify it as a suicide, reclassify it as an open investigation, and use their resources to investigate the death. One thing that he said they were really lacking was resources. And now that they've got $5 million, at least a $5 million judgment, 
there is a possibility that, in fact, they will have some of those resources to begin the investigation. Remember, she was, she had her hands tied behind her back, her feet were bound, a T-shirt stuffed in her mouth, hanging from the second-story balcony outside her room. Physically, possible that she did it herself. In terms of all the information we knew about her, it seemed highly unlikely. When we come back, big moment in the uh, special elections. We didn't get a much chance to talk about this yesterday, but big special elections that took place on Tuesday in three small assembly districts. Why they were so significant when we come back to the Gary and Shannon Show. Oh, Gary and Shannon, just, I just had a revelation. Uh, we were going to talk about the, the special elections in the Assembly just this week, just on Tuesday. Uh, one of them was decided outright. The other two uh, were going to have to go to a runoff in June. But one of the issues is that there is a push to get more women in the state legislature. I don't have a, no problem with that. I don't care. I mean, I don't know why. Anyway. I don't care. There's an organization called Fund Her that raises money to elect progressive women to California state offices. Again, I don't care in that you want to represent me. You can be a man or a woman. I don't care. Just as long as you represent me well, it doesn't matter. Uh, and I was going to say, you know, just just because somebody happens to have a vagina doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to represent you better or that they're going to be a stronger politician or more respectful of the the responsibilities of being a state, state legislator. And I was going to say, or I was going to use the example of Christina Garcia, the assemblywoman who has been sitting on the sidelines for a while while they investigate whether or not she's all touchy-feely and grab-ass. Oh, I, I, I will be clear. There's nothing, there's no one in politics that doesn't talk about some of the peers we've worked with and we use candid language. Uh, and so along the way, I've used candid language. Uh, I curse. I mean, I've been vocal about some of my favorite words, and I don't know if I can see them on the radio. Uh, our okay, uh, that's that's the lady. Uh, so, uh, yeah, let's get more women in there. That makes a lot of sense. I forgot this. Blake, did you remember this? We interviewed Christina Garcia. When we were in Philadelphia for the Democratic National Convention, we sat down with Christina Garcia. I didn't remember that. No. I didn't remember either. We could sit here and harp on that, and that's a reality. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses, and that's between them. But I didn't feel that at all. It was just exciting to finally see us get to the next step out there. My mom is, has been a Republican all her life. I'm okay, I know, I'm going to have to go through that and listen to that whole thing again. Just to clear it up, she never touched me that I remember. I would imagine I probably would remember <laughs> that. I just, I totally Did forgot you play spin that we. Bottle with her? What's that? Did you play spin the bottle with her? That I won't confirm nor deny. Did you uh, take a sip from the keg? I did not take a sip uh. from the keg. You guys didn't hang out with her at the Dead Hooker Hotel. No, no, no. That was uh, that was Cleveland. Oh, okay. Uh, so she was in Philly Philadelphia. Was with the with the with the uh, stripper pole, right? That was you in the stripper. She pole? wasn't there either. Right? She was not at the. She was not at the gay bar. Did okay. you exchange no. colorful language? Eh. Homophobic slurs. Yes. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. They just. <laughs> Tripping off the tongue. That's what. Uh, that's the way I would describe our exchange. 
I'm going to have to listen to that whole thing. Anyway, let's go back to this. So the topic is the state assembly elections. Um, some people are describing this as a huge moment for women. Okay, again, I don't, I don't care if you're a man or a woman as long as you represent your district well. In this case, Sydney Camlogger, I'm going to say that incorrectly, but I think that's close. Sydney Camlogger ran away with the 54th district. And that, I mean, she got the more than necessary to avoid the runoff. I think she had 60, 64% of the vote or something like that. So she doesn't have to go through, sorry, 69% of the vote doesn't have to go through a runoff. Uh, Luce Rivas rolled into a runoff against Republican Ricardo Benitez in the 39th district. That's sort of the northeast area of the San Fernando Valley. Luce Rivas, one of the Democrats, was up against four or five other Democrats and one Republican. Those other Democrats cannibalized each other's votes. So Luce Rivas did not get the required 50 percent plus one to avoid the runoff. She's going to go up against Ricardo Benitez, Republican. In the 39th district, although it is heavily Democratic, this being sort of the, uh, you know, a precursor of what we might see in the congressional elections coming up in November, where you've got multiple Democrats, in some cases, eight and nine Democrats running against one, maybe two Republicans. And they have this fairy tale idea that they're going to have two Democrats on the on the ballot. It's not necessarily going to happen. The 19-year-old Republican named Justin Clark in the 45th District finished second to Jesse Gabriel, the Democrat. Why is it, outside of them, uh, outside of him stating that he's a Republican, why is it that critics are saying that this is a bad sign for democracy? That I don't understand. If you've got a 19-year-old kid who wants to get involved in state government and wants to run for the assembly, more power to him. Uh, in fact, Nick, let's put a call into Justin Clark's uh, campaign manager. I'm sure a 19-year-old has a campaign manager. I'd love to talk to Nick because – to Justin, sorry, not Nick. I don't care about Nick. I'd love to talk to Justin because I want to ask him or I want to ask the people who are critical of him – in this runoff, what's the difference between that kid and an 18-year-old from Parkland, Florida? Is it just because he wants to be politically active and he says he's a Republican that you're critical of him? Because I know a lot of people who have zero problem with kids from Parkland High School being the face of the new political movement. Because a lot of them are talking about Democratic, closely held political ideals i feel bad for this kid because even though there is a push like i said to get this huge uh you know to replace a bunch of men in the state legislature with women that this 19 year old kid has some new fresh ideas in his head and they just hate him because he's a republican makes no sense the results confirm for some people that women could pick up as many as 10 seats in the state legislature that have previously been held by men in the 80-seat assembly of the 40-seat Senate. That would return the women's share of the legislature to a previous high of 30% from the current 22%. Again, concentrating on the gender makeup of the state legislature is the wrong way 
to ask for good representation. It's the wrong way to do it. You're looking at the wrong criteria. I don't mind a 19-year-old in there. I got no problem with that. By the way, 19-year-old state legislatures legislator is not going to have a keg in his office. He can't. Gary Channel will continue. We'll do what's trending when we come back. And I don't know if you've seen this trend of comfort dogs in court. We'll talk about that next. Gary and Shannon will continue after this. Gary and Shannon, big day today. John and Ken are going to be out live at the Phoenix Club restaurant parking lot located at the Anaheim Mile of Cars. The final roundup for the gas tax signatures and petitions and a big, big update on the recall of Senator Josh Newman. Again, John and Ken live today. The Phoenix Club restaurant, the Anaheim Mile of Cars. Carl DeMaio is going to be there. John Coupal, along with other mystery guests. Uh, South Sanderson Avenue in Anaheim. That's where you'll find the Phoenix Club. They'll be in the restaurant parking lot. South Sanderson Avenue live today from 2 o'clock until 6. Also, some boat show tickets we're going to give away. $1,000 to give away in just a few minutes. But what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. These are all the stories that have been trending on social media for the last couple of hours. Get you updated on what people are talking about and sharing. The brother of the YouTube shooter is now saying it's the police fault. The police fault? The fault of police. In the wake of her idiocy and slipping into darkness, that somehow the police should be blamed for this. He says they didn't do anything and she got killed and three or four more people got hurt. I understand he's upset that he lost his sister. This is a very emotional time for him. You might want to put a watch on this guy because um, he apparently is slipping as well. They didn't do anything and she got killed. Yes, she did. But let's not forget she killed herself before she wounded three other people. To lay that at the feet of the police is ridiculous. 11 hours before she did this, she was spotted by Mountain View police. They found a car in a city parking lot. They saw a woman sleeping inside. They ran the plate and realized it came back to a woman that was reported missing in San Diego County. But when they talked to her, she was fine that she was calm throughout the entire conversation. And they had no reason to believe that she was a danger to herself or others or anything like that. Very normal conversation, according to the police chief at Mountain in Mountain View. Authorities emphasized the family gave no indication that she was going to turn violent. Because remember, they called Dad in the middle of the night. Hey, uh, you're the one who reported your daughter missing. We found her. She seems to be okay. She's just sleeping. The brother says, the brother says when he was contacted early Tuesday morning, he expressed concern to the police officer saying, you know, she's told us a couple of times she hates YouTube. 
And I know that Mountain View is close to San Bruno, and that's where the YouTube headquarters are. In fact, he says that they called the cops again and told them there was a reason she went all the way from San Diego to San Bruno, so she might do something. He said, I thought she might go there and start a fight or something because he didn't know she had a weapon with her. And the cop told me, again, this is the brother, the cop told me he would keep an eye on her. Yet another military airplane crash. This was an F-16 that went down at Nellis Air Force Base in Nevada, just north of Vegas, on Wednesday, yesterday. Air Force said the jet from the Air Force Thunderbirds demonstration team crashed at about 10.30 yesterday morning during routine training at the uh, test and training range. Uh, Pilot's identity being withheld pending next to kin. They were supposed to do a show at March Air Reserve Base this weekend. Uh, Obviously canceled. The effect on the remainder of the Thunderbird show scheduled had not yet been determined. They've performed once so far this year down in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, They did a flyover, I guess, of the uh, Daytona 500. They said that this is the third for a Thunderbird jet, the third crash in just the last two years. There was one that went off the runway at Dayton International Airport in, in Ohio while they're getting ready for a show. A couple of crew members were injured. And then an F-16 Thunderbird crashed, sorry, a Thunderbird's F-16 crashed south of Colorado Springs when they uh, did a flyover at the U.S. Air Force Academy. But this is the fourth incident involving U.S. military aircraft in just 24 hours. There was another one, at uh, an, a Harrier jet that crashed during takeoff in Djibouti. Pilot was able to be uh, to eject a Marine Corps Super Stallion helicopter that crashed in the vicinity of El Centro. Four crew members were killed. And then another CH-53 helicopter damaged on Tuesday, landing in Djibouti. So just a strange confluence of events there, four in 24 hours. There is a body of a CDC employee that had been missing since the beginning of February. They finally found his body in the Chattahoochee River. Weird because this guy said he wasn't feeling well when he left work on February 12th. He was an epidemiologist working in the chronic disease unit. Looks like suicide, although they say they can't rule out foul play yet. Looks like a suicide. He had been telling neighbors weird things like, delete my number from your phone. And then he just went missing. They reported him missing February 16th. He was last seen at work on February 12th. Tiger Woods... Not doing great at the Masters right now. Uh, he's up two, I guess, uh, two over par, which I think the leader right now is four under. So, I don't know. He's still got a ways to go. He's got three holes left, and he's not doing great. But the fact that Tiger Woods is back in the Masters for the first time since 2015 means that everybody is watching the Masters. Tiger Woods still draws eyeballs to golf matches, even if he's not as good as he was. Because there's a possibility that Tiger Woods makes a comeback. Tiger Woods makes some sort of uh, second-day, third-day push and wins the green jacket again. If he's in the hunt on Saturday or Sunday, ratings will be through the roof this year for the Masters. There is uh, more talk lately, more information that's been shared about the National Guard units at the border. The administration has said that the Guard troops deployed on the border would not be armed 
interesting addition, would not participate in immigration or customs duties. But that information actually came from the Mexican foreign ministry because they had been talked to by our secretary of of Homeland Security. Bottom of this hour, by the way, uh, Brian Suits is going to join us and talk about the National Guard, what it is that they can do, what they can't do, and what responsibility the governor has in terms of signing off on this plan to put the National Guard at the border. Oh, guess what day it is today, guys? Guess what day it is? It's Burrito Day. National Burrito Day. It's also National Deep Dish Pizza Day. Are you kidding? Yeah. No, I'm not. Well, I don't know what to do then. Nick actually has a burrito. Oh, go ahead and eat it. No, that's fine. I have have one, too. And if you keep mouthing off, one of them was supposed to be yours, but it will be mine as well. (laughs) I went up there and I grabbed a handful. So Time out. Yeah. You've got one. Yeah. You've got one. Yeah. You've got two. Yeah. I've got zero. He well, got one for well, we you. We wanted to let you choose. Oh, they're yeah. different. Oh, they are? <laughs> yeah. yeah. What is it? What's the difference? One has a chicken and one is like a mystery burrito. We don't know what's in it. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's like Go the, with the mystery one. <laughs> it's, like the, it's like the airhead. It's white and everything, and you don't know what you're getting. Which one's... It, one, what is like heavier the, than oh, the, the other? Oh, the airhead, like yeah. the candy. Yes. I thought you were making some sort of... The white mystery airhead. Racist blonde joke of some kind. <laughs> what? No. Yeah. She's in Thailand. Uh, oh. I'm never going to tell her you said that. <laughs> Gary and Shannon, will continue. Uh, we'll talk about dogs in court. Also, your chance to win $1,000 coming up, brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you're missing some Keith or teeth, <laughs> or Keith is missing teeth, call Cunning Dental for a free exam. Triple eight six forty smile. Keep listening. We'll tell you how to win in just a few moments. And where we Gary and Shannon. We uh we love dogs, right? I mean everybody I think all of us Monica, do you have a dog? I do. We all have dogs. Yeah. Like, you don't have a dog? You don't have a family dog? Not since we put him down a month ago. Oh, God. Oh, I didn't mean to bring that up. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, forgot about but, that. But, yeah, no, not anymore. But you love dogs. Yeah, I've had all quite right. a few in my life. Good. Now, let me ask you a question. If you were in court, if you're sitting on a jury, um, and it's something like a, uh, a child abuse case, and the kid has to take the stand for whatever reason, would the appearance of a comfort dog prejudice you no. i want you to think about that because oh, wait a minute before you because it's not unusual there are a, a couple hundred courthouse facility dogs who work in 35 different states and there's a number of emotional support dogs that are allowed case by case etc but these are specific 155 courthouse facility dogs that's their job they work at the courthouse every day they are trained to provide companionship for prosecutors' offices, courthouse, legal settings like this. They work at the courthouse all day. They go home with their handler at the end of it. There are emotional support. There are therapy dogs that can be registered that may or may not be specially trained. Some of them are just there and get the label of therapy dog. But they're there to provide emotional support for people going through some very difficult times. I'm going to use an example. A woman named Ivy Jacobson from Washington State, Lake Stevens specifically. She used facility dogs to help her get through three trials. Her father 
was convicted in the third trial. Her father was convicted of sexually assaulting her when she was a teenager. Mm. First two cases end in hung juries. She said the only way she was able to get through these cases was with the support of these animals. The judge in the case did not allow the dogs to accompany her to the witness stand because the defense argued that simply having the dog with her when she testified made her look like a victim. Think about that. Not what she was describing happened to her at the hands of her own father. It was that the dog was there that was going to make her look like a victim. In South Carolina, they studied this. At Wofford College, they actually studied whether or not dogs had an effect on verdicts, on witness credibility, on how jurors saw the witnesses. And the, the findings surprised even the researchers. The, surprise, the surprising part of it was there was no difference. They consistently found, using mock juries, there was no difference between those witnesses that testified with the help of a therapy dog slash facility dog slash emotional support dog and those who didn't. I mean, isn't that like saying something someone's wearing is going to affect sure. but my decision? And a lot of times, very rarely does a defendant testify in the case against them, Fifth Amendment, but there will be arguments before the jury sees the defendant about what they're going to wear to court and a lot of lawyers argue successfully, you should not have my my client in uh, jail scrubs because that makes him look like a criminal. Right. You shouldn't have his legs and hands shackled at the table because that makes him look like he's dangerous, even though he's up for, you know, attempted murder or something like that. Mm -hmm. That is what makes him appear dangerous, not the orange jumpsuit. Well, but how, they'll make that argument. How old is the kid that would be using this dog? In this case, uh, Ivy Jacobson was 16 or 17 when she had to use the dog. And, and she, again, didn't have it in the courtroom, but the dog was always waiting for her just outside the courtroom. Whether it was an ante room, uh, the judge's chambers, the hallway, whatever it was, the dog and the handler were there all the time. When she went through the deposition from the defense attorneys, which could probably be a little bit more grilling, you know, grueling, I mean, than it would be from the prosecutor, she would have the dog with her all the time. Just wasn't in court. Now, one of the ways around this is that uh, defense concerns can be resolved by placing the dog so they couldn't be seen. If you've been to a courtroom, there are a lot of times when the witness stand itself is almost constructed like a box so that you don't see their legs. You just see the person from the waist up, depending right. on you know how it's built, so that the jury would never see the dog, but that maybe the judge says... Just so you know, our witness today has a support animal with her. You just are not going to be able to see her. So if you hear barking or growling, that's what's going on. It's not that she's hungry. Defense lawyers say it's not that easy. Uh, Connecticut public defender said a child is already a sympathetic enough witness. You give a child a dog and you have a little boy and a cute, fluffy dog that's his, that he's relying on for his uh, emotional health. That makes that dog or that witness even more sympathetic and could potentially 
determine or taint the way the jury sees his testimony. But if he has something that he's comfortable around, it could also open him up a little bit so that when these attorneys question him, yeah. he's a little he's more comfortable. comfortable in that. Je- uh, Ivy Jacobson says the same thing. She's 16 or 17 at this time, having to talk about very explicit, very uncomfortable things. Again, remember, she was a, she at the time was accusing her father of sexually assaulting her when she was a teenager. She's 16 having to talk about this. And she would said she never would have been able to do it without the support of having that therapy dog next to her. By the way, I mentioned Wofford College in South Carolina that did this study on the effect of dogs in courtrooms. Do you know what the mascot for Wofford College is? A golden retriever? No, that would oh. be University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Oh, okay. Wofford Terriers. Terriers. Was it a biased? Probably. Okay. Probably, now that I mention it. All right. Congratulations, by the way, to Dean and Amy and Drago and Josie and Betty. They are the ones who won the autographed copies of Louis Anderson's new book called Hey Mom. If you haven't uh, listened to the interview that I did with Louis yesterday, it was an hour-long interview. Nicest guy I think I've met in a long time. And uh, he signed copies of his book. He's got a new stand-up thing out there. Go to the website. Go to KFIAM640.com. Use the keyword Gary and Shannon, and uh, you can listen to yesterday's interview. Coming up, Swamp Watch. Specifically, what is going into the National Guard showing up on the border? What's required of our state when the president signs a proclamation to send the National Guard to the border? That's all coming up next. Gary and Shannon will continue. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Gary and Shannon. Well, if you're driving, unfortunately, you did not get to feel it, but uh, it was a nice little. Uh, yeah. Did you feel that one? 5.0 earthquake just now? Earthquake. That was it. I was uh, standing right here and I didn't feel a thing. I was at the, I was getting filling this full of water. I'm disappointed. And I thought I had vertigo. I was sitting down in the office and I felt like I was on a boat. Oh. <laughs> Moving around. Uh, John down the hall also said that he has a new appreciation for uh, how this building handles earthquakes. They said it was a 5.0 hit at uh, 29 after, so five minutes ago. And it was about, uh, looks like it was about 50 miles, not even that far, but it was off the Channel Islands. My Um, first earthquake, and I didn't feel a thing. Are you sure you didn't feel a thing? You want to go back and review your memory? Because you were in the middle, you were thinking about other stuff. You were, maybe. uh, You were in the middle of that, of your newscast. So, but yeah, that was it a 5.0 earthquake just off the coast. And uh, there's not, I mean, there's no, Reports of any damage or injuries. Nobody around here was saying anything, other than everybody walking in the hallway going, "Was that was that an earthquake? Is that earth? Yes, chances are that was an earthquake." Are you guys jaded by it? Like, is it kind of? Does this happen well, often? You can feel still new here. Sometimes you feel trucks driving by. I mean, we're not on the bottom floor, and you could still feel trucks driving by on the street out here. But it usually goes, and it uh, you know it goes by pretty quickly, and it's it's a hmm. it's a sharper vibration. This was kind of the rolling thing that made it, like like Nick said, feel like he was on a boat. So tell everybody, tell everybody that you were the first to feel it. That's the thing. <laughs> Be the one who runs in the hallway. Uh, if you're listening to us on headphones on uh, iHeartRadio right now, 
take your headphones off and go, hey, did you guys feel that earthquake? It's 5.0. It's off the coast out here at Channel Islands. <laughs> just, I'm just guessing. And then everybody will make it, uh, you know, make it seem like you're the genius. All right. That's enough of that. Swamp Watch. Time to talk about what's going on in D.C. Brian, did you feel it? They just upgraded it to a 5.3. Oh, my gosh. I knew that felt a little light. Yeah. To, but you know what? To be honest with you, three hours ago, Virgin Galactic's uh, orbiter broke the sound barrier for the first time. That rocked my house more than this silly earthquake. Really? Well, um, Tim Cates from uh, KLIC was running down the hallway with his head on fire like the the, the world was ending because he was. You know, uh, he was he he was all CIF baseball there at uh, at uh, Burroughs High School. I think he batted four fifty two, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he uh, he certainly uh, hasn't tired any tired of telling anyone that. <laughs> well, yesterday the president signed this proclamation to send National Guard units in support roles to the border. Let's talk about the mechanics of how this works. We've seen it before with Presidents Bush and Obama. Is this the same thing that President Trump is trying to do? Um, yeah, yeah, it is, though I sense that he has no background to know what he's talking about. Because, But to be fair, nor did Obama. Bush, of course, was a National Guard member in, in Texas and Mississippi. Um, the way this worked, for people who don't know, the active duty federal military um, operates under U.S. Code Title 10. They are constitutionally forbidden from enforcing civilian law. Um, it, that's the Posse Comitatus Act. This comes in the aftermath of the Civil War when the U.S. Army was doing law enforcement in the South. We stopped that constitutionally. So, But meanwhile, at the state level, Every governor has a uh, contingent of Army National Guard and Air National Guard, and they work for the governor under U.S. Code Title 32. And for instance, California for a long time had a National Guard counter-drug mission called Task Force Grizzly. Um, I did that mission in Nevada, and and you would go on active duty for like five days. Uh, And we would use military uh, reconnaissance systems to do surveillance on drug houses and things like that. But but generally, we did no detention or arrests. Um, uh, but you're a state employee, so the governor has the authority to do this. So what the Pentagon will do is they will uh, they will direct governors uh, to provide, you know, like California will be expected to provide 5,000 soldiers, uh, Nevada 1,000, you know, like that. Uh, and, I mean, probably border states first, Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California. And the way they'll do it, um, if they absolutely have to have people boots on the ground at the end of this week, they'll call up an entire unit, like an infantry battalion of 800 people. But then they'll backfill that unit with volunteers because, you know, the unemployment rate amongst National Guard is the same as the U.S. population. So there are unemployed people who can go on active duty for, for you know, uh, 90-day tours in the Guard, and they'll do it because it's a steady paycheck, it's health insurance and all that. So they'll probably do it like Bush did it. Um, and, uh, you know, they don't do – it's not an armed mission. They're not physically on the border and all that because this is what people don't get. It, it literally is illegal for the U.S. Army to sit on the U.S. border um, because the minute someone crosses the American border without authorization, that's a misdemeanor. It's not an invasion. You know, we're, we're getting – if we get invaded by an army of individuals, each of those individuals – the minute they step on American soil, has constitutional rights. And one of your constitutional rights is not to be arrested by the Army uh, or the Marine Corps. So uh, 
it's a bit confusing to people, but 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 basically the governors will be expected to produce these bodies. Well, we know that uh, the governors of Arizona and Texas have already come out full-throated support of this. Uh, in New Mexico, Susana Martinez had said that it's nice that they're asking the states to come to the table. Jerry Brown has been mostly silent on this so far. What do you think he's going to say? Well, you know what? Uh, the Oregon governor has already stated that she will not provide troops for this. And I bet you Jerry Brown doesn't want to be uh, one-upped. I, I bet you later on today he'll make some statement uh, that, that he will not, under his gu- gubernatorial Title 32 authority, provide these troops, at which point he'll want to read the fine print. Because at the end of the day, the Pentagon can federalize troops, just like I was federalized during the L.A. riots. I was called up um, as, as, you know, state guard, uh, went up to my armory there at, on Hollywood Way, where next to Fry's, and we are on state time for the first 48 hours. And then President Bush federalized us uh, and declared an uh, emergency, a state of emergency. Um, and so that, the Pentagon can do that. The Pentagon can reach right down to Azusa um, and, and just say, I, I've got news for you guys. Um, you're not state employees. Uh, you are going to be federal employees for the next 90 days. And they can completely do a, a, a male rooster, a, ma- a male chicken block around Jerry Brown. Yeah. So, so we know that no law enforcement uh... – capacity because that's that's outside the purview of what the national guard would do but like you said just support security help things like that yeah and it looks good you know it plays extremely well um in in the midwest to to see you know soldiers on the border and it sounds good to say it and the whole thing but ultimately they're they're basically going to be uber drivers for border patrol they might drive detainees to you know facilities to and they might take over jobs at Border Patrol offices to free up some of those, you know, actual commissioned officers who can make arrests uh, to, to go out and hit the border. You know, and ultimately, it's, it's, a, it's a dog and pony show. But, but for probably about ten or 20,000 guardsmen who are currently out of work, you know, it's a, it's a quick way to make, make some money in 90, 90 or 100 days. Brian Suits, host of Dark Secret Place and Super Hyper Local Sunday on the weekends here on KFI. And uh, maybe you come in next week and, and hang out with us for, for a show. That could be. Uh, we're still at 5-3. The earthquake is stabilized at 5-3. Oh, I wish it was still going on. Could you imagine? That'd be great. Ten-minute long earthquake. I not, know. And not a big one. Just, you know, a five. Just to, just to rattle nerves for a little bit. Uh, follow Brian at Dark Secret Place. Thanks, Brian. Bye-bye. Um, when we come back, we'll get into more Swamp Watch, including what the president was saying today when he uh, stopped by West Virginia to talk about tax reform. This is going to surprise you. He didn't say um, he, he kind of went off topic a little bit. And also Scott Pruitt and the whole situation about uh, the EPA administrator, what this guy is uh, getting himself into. All of that when we come back to Swamp Watch. And again, the 5.3 earthquake. I've totally taken your uh, taking your. Your, your thunder here. 5.3 earthquake. Tracy is listening at UCLA, sitting in her truck, and said she felt the earthquake and it rocked the truck side to side. Ugh. I don't know why I'm disappointed. I do, because you wanted to feel an earthquake. Yeah. You would have terrified you. Yeah, you... They, they say your first time's not always the best. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue. It's been one week since you looked at me. Come back and see me. Three days in the living room. 
Gary and Shannon. Uh, she missed that one. 5.3 earthquake that hit about uh, 20 minutes ago now. Just near the Channel Islands. They said it was a depth of about 11 miles. And uh, it was a 5.3. No reports of any uh, damage or anything like that. But pretty significant in terms of uh, everybody around here. Oh, sorry, Monica. Everybody but Monica felt it. Uh, in fact, walking through uh, the sales department back there, everybody started doing this when I walked through. They started looking up at the ceiling. Just in case it caved? I don't know what they were looking at. I guess uh, there are lights that hang down so they would see them if they were swaying. But so, uh, And if you're driving, unfortunately, you didn't feel it. But we got a couple emails. Like I said, um, Tracy at, at UCLA was sitting there in her car and and felt it. And uh, it turned out that uh, Tim thought I, Tim says, I thought that was the pesto sauce I had with lunch. <laughs> Gross, Tim. <laughs> uh, Gary is in Santa Paula, says it threw me up against my workbench. And in Santa Paula, it felt like a jolt rather than a rolling earthquake. So, again, a 5.3 earthquake hit at about 12 30 this morning, this afternoon, about 20 minutes ago. And uh, no word on whether or not Dennis Zine felt it, but um, I understand that at least Frankie McDonald felt it. People in California, be prepared for September 2010 major earthquake. Oh, that was a long time ago. Have a nice day. Have a nice day. And may destroy telephone poles, may destroy all kinds of transformers. And they knock all kinds of telephone poles over in California. Okay, the good news is none of that damage has come true, at least not yet. Um, but we're getting some images right now of uh, people whose cameras, cell phone cameras, security cameras have caught some sway- things swaying. But again, no reports of any damage or injuries yet, but a good 5.3 to wake you up. All right, uh, back to Swamp Watch. The president was uh, in West Virginia today during a roundtable discussion on tax reform, went a little bit off script and started talking about all kinds of stuff, including the caravan. He was talking, again, tax reform issues were being discussed at the roundtable. He went a little bit off script. If you have a baby on our land, congratulations. That baby is a United States citizen. We're the only one. Now, Mexico has very tough policies. They can do whatever they want which is the way it should be, to be honest. You're violating something very sacred. You're violating a border. Canada, very, very tough. Very, very tough. And Canada is very merit-based. You come into Canada, it's got to be based on merit. With us, it's a lottery system. Pick them out, a lottery system. You can imagine what those countries put into the system. They're not putting their good ones And remember my opening remarks at Trump Tower when I opened. Everybody said, oh... He was so tough, and I used the word rape. And yesterday it came out where this journey coming up, women are raped at levels that nobody's ever seen before. They don't want to mention that. So we have to change our laws. And the Democrats, what they're doing is just, it's insanity. I don't, nobody understands what's going on. Uh, He's talking about the journey coming up is what he said, Uh, this journey coming up. I believe that he's talking about the caravan that has been coming up since uh, through Central America that we talked about yesterday where already Mexico has deported 400 of those people and sent them back to their countries. Um, I'm not sure if he's conflating that with just the in general migration of people through Mexico to come to the United States that can often be victims. But that's what the caravan is protesting against. 
The caravan is protesting against the violence on migrants. It's protesting against people who are then used and trafficked in a way. So I'm not sure exactly what he was trying to get at, but there are already places that are blasting him for that line of thinking, uh, saying that there has there's not been any uh, accusations of anyone in that caravan having been raped by anyone for any reason, I guess. Anyway, so that's what the president was doing today in this uh, tax reform roundtable discussion. Scott Pruitt. Scott Pruitt uh, is the administrator for the EPA and lately has been criticized for a whole series of things that he's been doing while he's been in office. One of the things that he's now being accused of is uh, that he was running late. He was stuck in D.C. traffic because everyone always is anyway. Sources have told CBS News that he wanted to use the vehicle's lights and sirens to get to his official appointment, but the lead agent in charge of his security detail said, uh, that's not why we use sirens. We only use lights and sirens in the event of an emergency or the president is in the vehicle. And as of right now, the president is not in the vehicle. So we are not going to do that. We're just going to sit in traffic and make sure everything goes. He had a, a... some travel issues as well scott pruitt has had this is minor the idea that he's asking for lights and sirens that's not a big deal um when we come back we're going to get into a bunch of stuff including mark saltzman's going to join us for tech talk we're going to do some strange science stories and we're trying to get somebody on from a usgs to talk about the earthquake that hit just about 25 minutes ago but we now have a family four-pack of tickets to the newport boat show in Lido marina village newport beach coming up on april 19th Uh, That weekend, the premier yacht show in the West Newport, the one show that features big boats and trawlers, more than 200 boats on display, no limit on the size of the bigger vessels. This is the one show that the serious buyers are not going to want to miss, and those who just want to fantasize about a giant boat, this is it. Spend the day touring some of the finest yachts in the world at Lido Village, where there's free off-site parking and shuttle service. Caller number six is going to win a family four-pack of tickets to the Newport Boat Show, one 800 5201KFI that's 1-800-520-1534 Yeah, it's time to call. Come on, it's, it's time, time to call. call. Let's call. Yeah. Caller 6 wins that family four pack of tickets. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. The, the official statement is there is no tsunami warning. There's no threat of the tsunami after this 5.3 earthquake that hit about a half an hour ago. About 35 miles off the coast of Oxnard, out near the Channel Islands. 5.3 earthquake. A bunch of people said they felt it. Dennis Zine felt it. And there was the earthquake. 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 We're experiencing an earthquake. Earthquake. Uh, it's a little old now, guys. You don't have to be that excited about it. But uh, a lot of people here in the building felt it. Monica didn't. And is still zero for zero when it comes to earthquakes. <laughs> I guess zero for one now yeah. uh, in terms of earthquakes that she has not felt. So I feel like I should apologize. On behalf of uh, the, like the rest of the state of California who has felt earthquakes and lived through some big ones, I feel like I, I, I don't know. You want Blake to come in there and like... Roll your chair around. No, a bit, I mean if or? you want to send in a service dog, a comfort dog, I'll take one of those. I've only felt I think it's two. <laughs> I think I've only felt two in my like, entire life. You're 26. I know. I've gone through huge hurricanes and I've covered F5 tornadoes and different. 
I know, totally. Because you know those are coming. I know. Well, the tornadoes sort of. Well, yeah, but I mean, at least there's the weather conditions are ripe for uh, tornadoes. There are no weather conditions that are ripe for a 5.3 earthquake. Well, if they're at night, I just sleep through them. And And, I love surprises. And during the day, I don't sit still enough to feel anything. (laughs) Uh, Well, I was standing up. I was walking down the hallway when it happened. Yeah, I was walking back. I was doing stuff in here, and I I think because I was moving, I didn't feel it. Sometimes you can hear them, too. Uh, And uh, this one, I I couldn't hear at all. I mean, again, I was out there down in the sales department where it was uh, some people were chit-chatting, but they were all pointing at the ceiling, and I couldn't figure out what they were doing until I stopped and was leaning up against the wall. Because that's how lazy I am. I was leaning up against <laughs> against the wall to fill up the, my water bottle. And I thought, man, I feel a little drunk. <laughs> What's in this machine? <laughs> this is the greatest vodka that tastes yeah. like water I've ever had. Uh, anyway, so 5.3 earthquake uh, from about 1230. And it happened just off the, off the coast out of the Santa Cruz Islands, about maybe 30, 35 miles west of Oxnard. Uh, off the coast there, Oxnard, Malibu, et cetera. So. And still no report of uh, any injuries or damage. Do you guys get no. that pretty quickly? Uh, well, usually there, if there's anything, there's going to be a spike in 911 calls, which mm. is one of the dumbest things you can do in the event of an earthquake. <laughs> How can they help you? Well, they can, that and I can't imagine what the 911 dispatcher is going to say when the question is, Is that an earthquake? Oh. <laughs> hey, did we just have an earthquake? Uh, and if the answer is yes... Then the dispatcher would say, yes, are you in need of help? No, I've just seen if that's an earthquake. Just checking with Just checking, because if it weren't, I am feel dizzy. Yeah. Do you need a paramedics or anything? No, nah, it'll pass. I just feel shaken. It'll go away. <laughs> Usually it does. Uh, but then again, if it's and then if it's not an earthquake, I guess, I don't know. But uh, at least Ventura County, which would have been closest to it, uh, has said that they haven't seen an influx of 911 calls and no reports of any damage or injuries or anything. So we'll keep an eye on it. Again, it's a half an hour later. We would have known by now if somebody was in, in trouble. Uh, but if you feel like you need to share your videos of things shaking, please feel free. Uh, to this afternoon, by the way, 2 o'clock, one hour from now, the John and Ken Show is going to be broadcasting live from the Phoenix Club restaurant parking lot Located at the Anaheim Mile of Cars, it is the uh, final round of gas tax signatures, petitions, etc. And a major update on the recall of Senator Josh Newman, Carl DeMaio, John Coupal are going to be there along with other mystery guests. Again, the Phoenix Club restaurant parking lot located at the Anaheim Mile of Cars on South Sanderson Avenue in Anaheim. Make sure you go and check it out uh, or listen, of course, uh, either here or on the iHeartRadio app. All right. It's time to talk some Technology. The machines are getting smarter. This is Tech Talk. Brought to you by Skynet. And joining us to uh, talk about all things technology is our friend Mark Saltzman. Mark, how's it going? Hey, it's all going all right, Gary. How about you? Uh, I am fine. I'm hoping that uh, the earthquake was uh, far enough away from you that it didn't disturb your afternoon. <laughs> I heard about that. I hope everybody's okay where you are. Oh, come on. It's just a little one. 5.3 is like a warm-up. 
It's nothing big. Do you have? Do you... Yeah, yeah. There's a drop of rain in LA and the city shuts down. <laughs> an earthquake? Ah, oh, that's nothing. It's not that the city shuts down. It's that some people can't drive in rain and yeah. then they <laughs> cause gridlock. That's what happens. Yeah, it's true. Have yeah, you you're been, right. You're you ever right. been through an earthquake? I have. Yeah, I was in one when I was traveling to San Francisco. Funny story, actually. So I was relatively new as a journalist about 20 years ago, and I was sitting on the throne in my hotel room, if you know what I mean. (laughs) And I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Because a a dude from Toronto doesn't feel earthquakes. And, uh, you know, I, like, sort of brace myself. Uh, and then, you know, turn on the TV afterwards only to find out what happened. But the hotel was on, like, rollers. Yeah. Is that right? Like, yep. it was it's so neat. Yeah, really cool. So, yeah, it was a really neat experience. Terrifying. Yeah. This, this... Well, Let's say I'll never forget when it was and where I was. Well, if, if you had to unload your bowels at the time, you're in the right spot, I suppose, <laughs> out of fear. Must, must have had some tacos before, you know, never mind. <laughs> Um, yeah, th- this building is supposedly on rollers as well, so uh, oh, cool. it felt hmm. funny, but it didn't feel like there was definitely a jolt. All right, let's talk about some technology stuff. Obviously, yeah. uh, unfortunately, because of the the place that it took place, uh, this shooting at the YouTube headquarters was in the news. And I talked a little bit earlier, but I'd love to hear your uh, your take on the way YouTube has been changing, has been altering its um, its policies when it comes to who gets advertisements, why they get advertisements, et cetera. Yeah, so this is hardly justification, obviously, for bringing a gun right. into a company you're unhappy with. But, yeah, it's no secret that uh, for content creators, including yours truly, the, about a year ago, YouTube changed how much they pay out. And as you might have heard or experienced, it's less than it was before. So long as you're above a certain threshold, I think you need to have like a, I'm I'm sorry, I think it's like a thousand, um, you know, active uh, views over a certain amount of time. Like as as long as you're over a certain threshold, and most, uh, like many YouTube content creators are, then you may not see much of a difference. But it has to do with the AdWords, like, you know, how much you're you're allowing YouTube to advertise around your uh, content, which is how they monetize it. There are some caveats, like if I have copyrighted material, like if I have a song in there from whomever, then I can't monetize it because I don't own the rights to that song. So there's a, there, and so what, what happened a year ago is that Google added even more restrictions and more age gates and more, you know, hoops that you have to jump through in order to get a paycheck. I get a, I get a quarterly check from YouTube and it's not incredible. It's not incredible, but it's something. So apparently this, um, this shooter who, you know, she took her own life, uh, uh, Nassim Agdam, she was upset with YouTube's practices and policies, mostly tied to censorship and revenue. And she shared this with her family, Gary. She, you know, told her brother and her father that she was upset with the company. She even went on, she had some uh, videos on online that were sharing her opinion. She was saying things like, you know, uh, YouTube filtered my channels to keep them from getting views. And, uh, you know, she wrote, there's no equal growth opportunity on YouTube. And another post accused uh, YouTube employees of putting age restriction on video, saying that it's aimed at reducing views. So she, she thought maybe perhaps there was like a conspiracy to squeeze out you know they're paying out too much, and and maybe there's some truth to it. Not not that it's a conspiracy, but YouTube said, okay, we maybe are paying out too much, and then she took it in her hands. You know, she drove from San Diego up to uh, you know up to YouTube in Northern California, and you know, unfortunately, we know what happened after that point. Yeah, I I saw 
as a result of this, I mean, not the shooting, but just the, the policy change that YouTube had uh, last year and early this year, some of the content creators said, you know, YouTube might want to consider this in the future, making sure that they, you know, are more upfront with their content creators, et cetera, because they don't want to end up like MySpace, which I thought was interesting. But is there really is there any other platform out there that allows people to create video content like this and and make it available to people without a, without paying something up front? Yeah, so not really, because even with other social platforms like Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn, we often link our content back to YouTube. So it's both a it's a hosting platform as well as a place to con- congregate and, and to comment and, and inter- inter- interact and interface with your, your fans. But, you know, so you could argue that, well, there are limitations. Like, for example, on Instagram, you can only upload a video that's 2 minutes and 20 seconds. Uh, on Facebook, you've got more length. Twitter is only, uh, sorry, that's Twitter rather. Instagram is only a minute. Um, so you, you want to, so I don't, I don't see any, anybody eclipsing YouTube in that space, nor do I see anybody that's willing to pay as much as they already are as well in their defense. You know, yeah, I wasn't happy at the news last year either, but obviously some, some bean counters are crunching the numbers and maybe say, saying, okay, we're, we're paying out too much and this isn't sustainable, or they just wanted to keep more of it on their own. Whatever their reasons, a few people were unhappy with it. It kind of blew up on Twitter among sort of like the content-creating community. And um, unfortunately, this what happened yesterday is, is tied to that in some way. Uh, your chance to win $1,000 is coming up, by the way, brought to you by Cunning Dental. If you're missing some teeth, call Cunning Dental for a free exam, 888-640-SMILE. $1,000 on the line, we'll tell you in a few minutes. But we're talking with Mark Saltzman, our tech guy, tech columnist, as a matter of fact, for USA Today. And I was looking at uh, a USA Today article from uh, from your compatriots, Laura Mandaro and Mike Snyder, regarding Facebook. And we've talked about this before, but Facebook now says that it thinks – as many as 87 million people may have had their data shared by Cambridge Analytica. 87 million. Right. So that's obviously a lot higher than the 50 million that we had uh, heard about, which is disturbing enough through this Cambridge Analytica data breach. But it gets worse than that. Today, Mark Zuckerberg said that all 2.2 billion users of Facebook should assume, and this is the quote here, that their public data has been compromised in some way by third-party scrapers. So that is even more disturbing that everybody on Facebook. So I, I think the message here is regardless of the social platform that you trust your information with. Always know that there's going to be data breaches going forward. This is the one of the biggest. I think it's really hurt their bottom line, um, you know, at least in the short term. And and just assume, like, you know, it's not just Facebook. It's every, everybody that you're trusting. Now, some of them, too, like Instagram and WhatsApp, that it, it's, it's very likely that in the information age, uh, when there's a will, there's a way. Someone is going to sell your data or find a way to, to, to steal it. So it's actually worse than that. So as a result, uh, they're going to send at least to the 87 million people, uh, with, with the overwhelming majority of them in the U.S., by the way, they're going to get a notification on Monday, apparently, that uh, tells them that, yes, you are one of the 87 whose data was given to Cambridge Analytica for this political targeting, um, you know, for during the 2014 mid-election and the 2016 presidential election. So many of your listeners are probably going to get a little note uh, from Facebook on Monday. Great. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, I think when 
we're not going to get notices when people delete or uh, delete Facebook or disengage from Facebook unless someone feels like it's a political reason. I get a lot of messages from people that say, I'm going away for 30 days. I've had too much with the politics. I don't, you know, I just want to unplug from Facebook. But nobody writes, I'm sick and tired of my privacy being stolen from me or my information being taken from me. So I'm going to completely, you know, this is the last post you'll ever see from me yeah. on Facebook. I think that's kind of funny. Yeah, you, you bring up a really good point. I think a lot of people who use Facebook know that whatever you put out there, even if you think it's somewhat private, it's not really private. And so you should think twice about what you're sharing or oversharing. I do agree that it is disturbing that if you've chosen to um, – to minimize who your Facebook community is, because a few years ago, Facebook said, okay, you don't want to broadcast to the whole world. You can choose only friends or like a small little group. Apparently, even that, it, I read this past week, even when you have chosen that, it has been known, it has been publicly accessible, at least to those tech-savvy enough to access it. So that is pretty disturbing if you think you're sharing within a small group. But still, yes, if you're using a, sh- a social platform and they monetize it, because it's free, Facebook is free for us, if they're monetizing it to advertisers who want to target ads, then clearly, you know, nothing is truly for free. So, yeah, buyer, you know, caveat emptor, buyer beware, because even though I'm saying buy, <laughs> you're trading your data, which is worth something. So, yeah, that's scary, scary stuff. Yeah, very scary. And, 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 and where are you going to go? You can leave Facebook and say, I'm out of here. You know, I'm sick of being, you know, whatever, or, you know, lied to or what have you. Where are you going to go? Because it's all, it's all similar. You yeah. know, you can wear a tin hat or you can just, Proceed with caution. <laughs> you can wear a tin right? hat. Tin foil hat. Tin foil hat. <laughs> We're talking with Mark Saltzman, our tech guy. And Mark, you also wrote an article uh, in USA Today regarding privacy stuff. And it's not just the the Facebooks and the Googles and the YouTubes that are dealing with this. It's Amazon. Because right. uh, yeah. because a lot of us have these Amazon Alexas or whatever it is in our homes, uh, and they know what we're using and what we're talking about and what we're buying and all that stuff. Yeah. So if you shop on Amazon, obviously, you know that you uh, if you buy some garden gardening equipment, you are going to be advertised gardening equipment in the future. Even if you type in Google gardening equipment or lawnmower or whatever you are and then you go to Amazon, you are still going to be targeted because you've given them the, the right, even though we none of us read that disclaimer that they can um, they can see what you're typing in online. But you may not know, and your listeners may not know, that whenever you talk to Alexa, all of those audio recordings are kept. So they're there. So the good news is you can hear them, see them, and delete them if you like. So I wrote an article that dropped on Monday on how to access all of your Amazon data. And if you want, you can clear it. So that includes your shopping history and your advertising. You can even, in fact, click that you don't want to be advertised to specifically. It'll be just generic ads, but not uh, personalized ads. You can also view every book you've ever bought and everything else you've ever bought on Amazon and clear that if you like. Uh, but so if, for those interested in your Alexa recordings, there's a link in my article. So if you Google USA Today Amazon Privacy, you'll find my article. But basically, there's a website that you go to that uh, lets you delete everything in one fell swoop. Or if you go to your Alexa app, you can go to the settings tab in the app and then view. So it's going to see a, you're going to see a text version of everything you've told or asked Alexa. You can hear it 
Like you can actually hear yourself in 2016, ask what the weather is in a, on a given day and delete it one by one. But only the website lets you delete it all in one shot. Wait, 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 wait. Keeps a recording. It doesn't just write yeah. down. It keeps a recording of it. Yeah, but which you can only access right now through the app. Correct. So if you ask, you know, what's the score of of the Lakers game? You know, in in May of 2017, it, it's gonna it's gonna you're gonna hear yourself ask that. That's yeah. a little terrifying. It's right, but so Amazon says, and there's a whole again a little disclaimer there that says that they keep this in order to improve the experience for you to learn, you know, how you talk and how you know. So it's supposedly all for your benefit. But so when you delete it, if you want to, you may not find that the service is as good as it was before because it's learning. There's AI on the back end, and it's learning your likes and dislikes and your tone, and it can. If by deleting that, you're kind of starting from scratch. As it's as if you just bought that Amazon Alexa and you're starting from back in 2015 if you've had it that long. So just keep that in mind. So if you want to know how to delete and hear all your recordings, you can do that on, on my article this week. <laughs> so it's like it's almost <laughs> like finding the old uh, answering machine tape and hearing your, your message from, from 1999. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> there you go. Uh, all right, Mark, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks, Gary. And you can follow Mark uh, on Twitter at Mark with a C, Mark underscore Saltzman. You can also check out his stuff at MarkSaltzman.com. And we'll make sure we throw a link up there again uh, on how it is that you can go through and make sure, uh, again, not everybody wants to do this, but you can make sure that uh, that Amazon and Alexa keep just the right amount of information. Delete some of the information if you want as well. Add preferences, profile, the audio recordings, et cetera. Uh, all right, so we are still working on trying to figure out if there was any sort of damage or anything from the earthquake that hit uh, just a little more than, a um, little less, I should say, a little less than an hour from now, centered about 23 miles off the coast of Santa Cruz Island, about 35 miles if you go straight from Oxnard out to the epicenter, and it was about 11 miles deep, but a 5.3 magnitude earthquake just at about 1230. They're getting felt reports from as far away as Bakersfield, which I think seems to be very far away. Palmdale felt some. City of Orange felt some. We have some listeners who have been tweeting in and writing in, talking about where it is they were when they felt it. Uh, Tracy at UCLA sitting in her truck said she felt the earthquake, rocked it from side to side. Um, Somebody else from uh, Santa Paula said that they felt it. And, in fact, uh, Gary said that it threw him up against his workbench, and it felt to him like a, a jolt rather than a rolling quake. We're in one of those buildings here that's supposedly on uh, dampeners or rollers. So a, a jolting earthquake like that, if that's in fact what it was, is not going to feel the same to us as if you were sitting there on the beach in uh, in Ventura or Oxnard or something like that. Or if you're standing in you know a supermarket or something that's just going to have slab on grade construction, you're going to be very close to the, uh, to the ground. So this is all... Uh, it's, I guess it's fun, if you want to call it that. A 5.3 earthquake with no significant damage or injuries is fun to talk about. It's a little exciting. Gets a little, you know, it gets a little blood flowing in your, uh, in your lunchtime. But it's not going to be a massive thing. USGS said, uh, like I said, that they had felt reports as far away as Bakersfield, City of Orange. Uh, a public information officer for the Ventura County Sheriff's Office said that they haven't gotten any calls of any significant injuries or damage, or even a 911 influx. Because usually when this happens, people get on the horn and just, I don't know, look for friends or something. 
because they can't ask the pre- the people in the cubicle next to them. Did you feel it? So they have to call the nine one one operator and ask them. Uh, but this is not a big deal. Th- this is there is a one in twenty chance. How about this, just to make you clinch your fists a little bit or your butt cheeks. There's a one in twenty chance that this quake leads to a larger one in the next few weeks. But more than likely, it's just going to be aftershocks after this, that this isn't a foreshock of a larger one, that this just results in smaller aftershocks. It was too small, too far away from the coast to trigger any sort of uh, tsunami concerns or anything like that. It would never make a wave that you would be able to see, according to the uh, uh, University of Southern California's SoCal Earthquake Center. And so we're not really worried about it. Nick said, wouldn't it be cool if we had a tsunami? And I said, if I'm in Burbank, it would be okay because I think we're safe here. (laughs) But if you're in Oxnard, I don't think that's a very good thing to think. The last time we felt a quake like this was uh, a 4.4 quake was in Encino in 2014. And that was, at the time, the largest in the L.A. area in four years. And they said it was... uh, the strongest to hit directly under the Santa Monica Mountains in 80 years. But, again, this was off the Channel Islands, um, and it wasn't a big deal. It was a 5.3. They're saying that most of the uh, the areas that felt it felt it uh, relatively short duration, that it wasn't very long, maybe 8 or 10 seconds long. But it was long enough to grab everybody's attention. And like I said, I was walking at the time down the hallway here, and I didn't feel it until I leaned up against the uh, wall and noticed uh, that the wall was moving. Or I was moving. So this is a, uh, a nice little reminder that we are living in earthquake country. Um, some people have been posting videos already of what they saw, they felt when that when it happened uh, about 1230, so almost one hour ago. Trying to get somebody from USGS on the line so that when we start our odd slash weird slash strange science, we can do that when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. <laughs> Thursday, April 5th. Man, hey, uh, you know what I was just thinking about? Uh, Nick, we should have had those California earthquake people in yesterday. I know. I mean, they would have time. Could you imagine the timing on that? And we had to cancel eventually, but that would have been great timing, wouldn't it? It would have. And by the way, I heard uh, I'm going to Oxnard in a a couple hours, actually. So, yeah. Have fun. Yeah. I'll be (laughs) up. Uh, but, man, uh, nobody loves plate tectonics like people in California. It reminds me of some good science stories like, I don't know, strange science? Strange science. It's It's like weird science, but strange. Not all that strange. I mean, we do live in California, so a 5.3 earthquake is not a gigantic deal. Uh, but joining us to help deal with our feelings now that we're all experiencing, Tom Jordan. Professor of Earth Sciences at USC Dornsife College of Letters, Arts, and Sciences. Uh, Tom, thanks for uh, thanks for taking a few minutes with us. Uh, no problem, Gary. Uh, quick question, and then we have to start this with all the earthquake stories. Did you feel it? I did indeed. I was sitting here in my office and got a good shake. Now, uh, as a guy who is an Earth Sciences guy, that's got to be pretty exciting. Oh, it is. Whenever we get an earthquake, we all jump up and run around and try and figure out what's going on. <laughs> You know what's going on. You're just trying to figure out where it's going on, right? Exactly. 
Yeah, because it's, you know, uh, the information comes in rapidly these days. So within, you know, a minute or so, we knew more or less what, what had happened. But uh, it's always interesting to try and figure that out. Um, I was watching a news conference from Caltech. They were talking about where, if if at all, they were receiving any sort of damage reports. And they said that there could potentially be some damage along the Santa Cruz Islands there where this thing was centered. But as far as, uh, you know, the rest of the coast, Ventura County, L.A. County, doesn't appear to be any damage. No, you know, this is a pretty small earthquake, and it was pretty far offshore. So, you, you know, you got to be pretty close to an earthquake this size for it to do much damage. The other uh, word, of course, that everybody associates with an off-the-coast earthquake is the potential for tsunami. Not the case here. Not the case. No, first of all, it's too small. And secondly, it's not the right kind of earthquake to generate a tsunami. It's a, one where one part of the earth goes sideways relative to the other, rather than one where a part of the earth plunges beneath another part. And uh, it's the latter type that causes tsunamis. Tom Jordan is a professor of earth sciences at USC and joins us to talk about the earthquake that happened a little more than an hour ago now, 5.3 earthquake about 35 miles off the coast out in Oxnard and about 11 miles deep. The the depth, is that is 11 miles shallow? Is it deep? You know, it's about, it's fairly normal. It's, uh, you know, on, on the deeper side, but uh, it, it's typical of what we have here in Southern California. The other thing I think is interesting is I was, you know, I'm 20 feet down the hallway. I can feel it. But Monica sitting over there, she doesn't feel it. And we have felt reports as far away as Bakersfield. Yep. So, I mean, how it's just the difference of where we're sitting, what we're doing, if we're driving, even if we're walking versus sitting down, that's going to affect how we feel it. Absolutely. And what kind of building you're in. If you're up at the top floor of a building, you're going to feel it a lot more than if you're on the bottom floor. Yeah. And the construction as well. My understanding is that this is one of the buildings that's on dampeners so that if it was one of the jolting earthquakes, we would never feel that strong jolt. Perhaps true. Yeah. That's what you hope, right? <laughs> Especially if I'm this close to the windows, yes. I, feel, I hope that it's uh, that it's not a jolt. Well, what do you guys do now as you get more and more information about what happened in that moment? What do you guys do? How do you guys spend the rest of the day? Well, we'll be you know analyzing the various seismic waves that come out of the earthquake to try and understand what happened at the source of that earthquake, get as much information as we can. Uh, since it's off in the ocean, there's not much we can do about going out and, you know, looking around and seeing what happened. Uh, eventually, there may be some sort of marine uh, survey that might uh, see whether there was disruption of the of the, uh, the rocks beneath a, a particular point. But uh, chances are there, uh, you know, that it won't really show up in any sensible way uh, in, in that sense. Do you find that often happens in earthquakes? Where I mean, if they're centered on land, that you could go to where the epicenter was and see... I mean, the old Superman yeah. movie where there was a crack in the earth, but that's not going to happen, is it? Well, you know, an earthquake this size very often doesn't cause surface cracks. Uh, it's small enough to where it's sort of contained down within the rocks. Uh, once you get up about a magnitude 6 or so, you typically will see surface rupture. Um, in this case, probably not. And this isn't one of those things where it's a fault that we didn't know existed, right? This is not a surprise? It's not a surprise. There's a bunch of faults out there offshore, and, uh, you know, there's uh, some big faults that run just uh, uh, south of Santa uh, Cruz Island, so that that's possibly where it is. And then finally, how do we know if this is a foreshock or it's just going to produce aftershocks? Is it just a wait and see? Well, you know, the the notion that it's a foreshock would mean that it would have an aftershock much bigger, right? Right. So, uh, so far, there have been no no reported aftershocks from this earthquake. Um, 
but there always can be, and there probably will be. All right. Well, Tom, I hope you have a good day. I don't know if you guys pop champagne when earthquakes happen, but I would say why not celebrate? No, we don't, but the gin and tonic might work. Okay. Hey, that everybody's got their thing. Thanks, All right. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. Bye-bye. Tom Jordan there, uh, professor of earth sciences again at USC Dornsife College of Letters, Arts, and Sciences. That earthquake was a 5.3, hit at just about 1230, and according to all the reports, only lasted for, say, about 8 or 10 seconds. Now, again, I've been saying that there hasn't been any significant damage. Uh, I saw on Twitter there was one picture from inside a Ralph's in Oxnard where about a half dozen things had fallen off the shelf. But other than that, it doesn't appear to have created any sort of uh, any significant damage in any way. There was a report from Caltech, and I mentioned I was watching during the break there, where there was an intensity level. Uh, they use an actual metric. They have numbers assigned to the intensity that, that is felt uh, when the earthquake hits. And one of the Santa Cruz Islands that's closest to the epicenter may have had an intensity of a 6, which is relatively high. That could, in fact, cause some significant damage to structures or, you know, things falling off of shelves, etc. Thankfully, there's not a lot for it to damage out there on the Santa Cruz Islands. There are a handful of buildings, but nothing significant. So uh, there's a uh, – oh, my gosh. They're they're showing on Channel 9 a eagle cam – one of those, uh, the eagle nests, they're showing the camera that was watching over the eagle nest. And at the moment of the earthquake, the eagle took off <laughs> and left the babies there to deal with the earthquake. I guess that's a thing. I guess that's what eagles do. All right. So anyway, we'll keep an eye on this. And again, no reports of any significant damage or injuries, but everybody talking about this 5.3 earthquake. When we come back, a Surgeon General has issued the first advisory from the Surgeon General's office in 13 years And it has specifically to do with the opioid epidemic that's going around the United States. And I'll explain. In fact, we heard this last week on our show. I'll explain all that when I come back to Gary and Shannon. I'm going back to my roots another day. Shannon. Shannon's on uh, vacation, by the way. I guess I didn't say that today. Somebody would ask where she was. She's in Thailand getting gonorrhea. So we'll check in with her, hopefully. She's gonna I want a genital pictures. experience. Hey, whatever. Everybody's got a thing. Um, Surgeon General Jerome Adams. By the way, I would have paid 100 bucks to anybody who could have told me the Surgeon General's name. Surgeon General Jerome Adams has a new advisory. In fact, the first advisory from the Surgeon General in 13 years. And it calls on more people to carry the opioid overdose antidote naloxone. Naloxone. N-A-L-R-Naloxone. This, what I find interesting, this is Narcan. It's the same name. The brand name is Narcan. What I find interesting is this advisory from the Surgeon General's office came just a few days after we heard this same sentiment. We are talking with the director of Behind the Orange Curtain, documentary made six years ago about the opioid epidemic in Orange County. And he said that one of the things that needs to happen is people, especially parents of teenagers or anybody else who may be dealing with this issue, needs to have Narcan, needs to have naloxone available 
because it's easy to administer. It's a nasal spray is the way they do it, uh, the way that you could buy it, you and I could buy it. My wife found out it's available at the drugstore down the street, like the CVS or whatever it is. It's down the street from our house. The Surgeon General's advisory says the importance of the overdose reversing drug naloxone for patients currently taking high doses of opioids prescribed for pain, uh, for anybody who may be misusing prescription opioids, individuals using illicit opioids like heroin or even fentanyl, for God's sake, healthcare practitioners, family and friends of people who have used, uh, who have an opioid use disorder, community members who may come into contact with people at risk for opioid overdose, knowing how to use naloxone will keep and keeping it within reach can save a life. Had kind of a discussion like this with our son over the weekend about, you know, if you know anybody that's got this, that has an issue with this, they're dealing with that, if you've heard stories about it, this may be one of those nice insurance policies to have in the event that something bad happens. The vast majority of us would never be in a position where we'd have to use naloxone to bring somebody back from the brink of an overdose because of opioids. But wouldn't it be a nice insurance policy to have? The last time there was a Surgeon General advisory from the U.S. Surgeon General was in 2005 with a focus on drinking alcohol during pregnancy. Mostly not drinking alcohol during pregnancy, but you know what I mean. So public health experts uh, and officials have been saying this is fantastic. This is the this is a great thing in terms of this rises to the level that scientists in the government believe that this is one way to save lives. Right now, 64,000 people die every year of drug overdoses in the in the uh, in 2016 that is. That's the statistic. At least two-thirds of those were deaths linked to opioids. Two-thirds of those, the total drug overdose deaths higher than the number of deaths linked to guns, car crashes, or HIV AIDS during any single year in the United States. At the same time, there's a sense of skepticism how far this is going to go. I mean, it is great. It is great that the Surgeon General does issue this advisory, but eh, is it enough? There's a health commissioner from Baltimore, Dr. Lena Wen has seen some of this firsthand. In the past, naloxone has typically required a prescription. In 2015, her office issued a standing order that effectively acted as a blanket prescription for the entire city of Baltimore. That's how we're working here in California as well. Which means you can go to a drugstore, CVS, uh, there are other places, you just check with your provider. And if you say to them, I have a teenager, a roommate, an adult somebody who I know I live with or I come in contact with who is an addict that you can get Narcan. The, uh, again, the, the health commissioner for Baltimore said in a statement, every week we count the doses we have left and make hard decisions about who will receive the medication and who will have to go without. Partly because of the fact that, according to her, it costs too much. Naloxone is an important tool in addressing the crisis. It is only one. Two major barriers to getting naloxone, it requires a prescription and it can be expensive. But again, that's the, the getting the fact, uh, or I should say, getting the Surgeon General to issue this advisory is potentially 
a way to start bringing it into everyone's attention and uh, starting to drive those prices down as well. So that's a, it's a significant thing that I thought was interesting and should put it, be put in science. Also, just a quick fun, well, fun, fun if you're on the side of the robots, South Korea's biggest university, the state-operated Korea Advanced Institute of Science and Technology, says it is not developing killer robots. Although the Advanced Institute of Science and Technology has teamed up with one of the country's major producers of autonomous weapons and cluster munitions. So everyone thinks, well, wait a minute, what is this, what is this massive Korean university that deals with advanced robotics... What are they doing partnering up with the producer of autonomous weapons and cluster munitions? Oh, you know, nothing. Nothing. Don't worry about it. One of the boycott, uh, people are boycotting this now. K-A-I-S-T, KAIST, announced a joint research center, the convergence of national defense and artificial intelligence with aerospace and defense company Hanwha Systems. They're being boycotted because people are afraid that the next logical step is going to be killer robots. One of the organizers says we should not let robots decide who lives and who dies. Some of the participants in this boycott have vowed not to visit the university, not to work with their staff until it assures that the weapons it works on will have meaningful human control. Uh, the university is world-renowned when it comes to advances in robotics and artificial intelligence. It responded quickly and said, no, 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 no. We have no intention of engaging in development of lethal autonomous weapon systems and, keywords, killer robots. In fact, the university president said that they won't conduct any research activities that are counter to human dignity, including autonomous weapons that don't have meaningful human control. So you don't have to worry about it. No worries. We're not going to have killer robots coming out of Korea. Anytime soon, that is. Don't forget, coming up in just a few minutes, John and Ken broadcasting live from the Phoenix Club restaurant parking lot located at the Anaheim Mile of Cars. Again, this is the final roundup of all the gas tax signatures and petitions and a major update on the recall of Senator Josh Newman. Carl DeMaio is going to be there. John Kupal will be there along with some other mystery guests. The John and Ken Show live in a few minutes. The Phoenix Club restaurant parking lot at the Anaheim Mile of Cars on South Sanderson Avenue in Anaheim. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. Well, that's all the time we have. Join us next time on... Gary and Shannon. Hey!